What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Baseline MMA. I'm Josh Thomas, and we have Cody Gwid. Oh, sorry, I, we didn't re- we didn't rehearse that at all. I didn't. <laughs> the intros are always really weird for me, right? Yeah, they're usually by far the hardest part of everything, getting it all smooth and everything. That's why one day we'll just have like a little intro thing that plays, and we could just go right into it. If uh, if you are listening, we appreciate you for uh, for your service and. Uh, yeah, dude, what a card over the weekend, yeah? Yeah, oh yeah, another a great way to wrap up Fight Island. Bunch of fun fights. What was it, 15 total fights? But look, man, just to start, the pacing was so good. Like, if they could, I mean, maybe they should try to do, I mean, you know the roster is crazy big. They should probably start thinking about doing 15 fights every time if the pacing is going to be that good. I mean, there was no stalling. I mean, sometimes the interviews weren't even over. They had guys walking to the cage. That was by far my favorite part of the weekend. Yeah, I I was actually a little worried because even though like I truly love MMA, I hate all the gap fillers in between fights. Uh, you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. like I like I like fighter interviews. Like it's perfectly fine, but I hate like all the commercials for upcoming fights and I hate commercials in general and uh I was really worried about this when I seen that there was 15 fights, 7 on the main card, you know, I was super nervous and right from the jump, I mean, it just took off and I was super appreciative of that. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but I think all of the fights during the quarantine have actually, like, I don't really know very many boring fights during the quarantine. No, no, man. Since they've since they've cleared things out, you know, no fans. And like, I, I mean, I think I said on the last podcast. I mean, some people use the fans for good and you get pumped up and you get hype and we see those crazy fights. But I think for some, I mean, it kind of makes you nervous. I mean, you don't want to overcommit and you know make that take the risk and it not go your way but I, th- I think something about it being kind of like that empty setting makes fighters a bit more relaxed i think we're seeing a lot of these fighters uh, fight more like they're trained you know we're seeing really guys have uh, less adrenaline dumps less of the cage jitters for some of the fighters that are making their debut again we see a lot of fighters who are taking these fights on uh i mean i don't even know if you can call it short notice anymore because essentially all these fights are you know 10 10 to 15 day notice when you get past the main and co-main event obviously Whitaker and Teal have been booked for a while but the majority of these fights were put together less than a month ago so I think I think that's also a big aspect you know there's one thing if if I tell you right now Josh you know you're you're gonna fight on October 4th I mean that's so far away your mind does so many things you think of so many outcomes you visualize so many things that by the time it gets here you're a little nervous because you've thought of everything that could go right and everything that could go wrong but if I say, you know, hey, Josh, Saturday, you're fighting. I mean, you you just go right into training, cut weight, and by the time you're there, it's fight time. So I also think that plays a, a huge deal on these guys' mental capacity. And I think that, that's been a real key reason we've seen such good fights. And uh, I was actually – I was a fighter before I was a podcaster and a commentator, and, and so were you. So you kind of – I mean, we know that feeling, and that – like, that is actually really true. And I never actually thought about it until you just said it. But a lot of these fights are – uh, like quote unquote short notice fights, which I think, um, I think you don't have time to get those jitters and you don't have time to overthink things. So now you're seeing these guys that come out. the The main event over the weekend was so technical, and yeah. it was just it was so beautiful, man. And I think I think you're right. I think the short notice uh, aspect to all the other fighters. I mean, I think it kind of, um, I think it benefits them because you are seeing these really technical performances. And granted, um. You know, Whitaker and Teal were booked. You know, what is it? Two months now they've been booked to, yeah. to fight each other. Yep. So they've um, they've had a lot of time to study each other and, and rehearse it. But 
in the same uh like in the same kind of aspect though a lot of these other guys are just kind of going in and, and like you said they're fighting like they are in in training camp and it looks awesome and we're getting these incredible fights so fight island is definitely i hope we revisit it no, i mean definitely yeah. definitely not in another pandemic but <laughs> yeah well i think they'll be there much sooner or later and you know the crazy thing is you know saying all that when you look at the card the fights that have kind of been booked for a little bit of time Whitaker and Till, I mean, that really, depending on your opinion of fights, I mean, it was such a, a chess match. I think both guys actually called it after the fight, and that's how it was fought. So you could tell these guys knew each other, had scouted each other. Same thing with Esparza and Rodriguez. You know, this was the third time this fight's been booked, and with that, I mean, you could tell Esparza had a game plan. She knew there was going to be some moments when she was getting hit with some vicious knees and elbows, and she kept on that grind, kept to the same game plan. So, you know, looking at fights like that, you could tell there was some scouting involved, but then you look at some of the other short-notice fights. You look at, you know, Verdum and Gustafson, and Gustafson made that one mistake, and, and that was all she wrote. And, you know, you wonder, you know, flip side of it, if you had more time to train and to scout, how things would be different. So, I mean, this is a crazy time in MMA, and uh, really the crazy thing is when I look at some of these fights, I would be surprised in, you know, two years or so, a lot of these fights end up having rematches just because, I mean, things are so different. I mean, uh, you know, you said it. I don't even know, you know, really what short notice. I mean, really when you look at it, when you look at uh, what are a guy doing, you know, fighting twice in, in 10 days, I mean, I, that has to be what short notice is now is fighting on just about a week notice because now if you're taking fight two, three weeks, I mean, that's that's a full training camp during the pandemic. Well, you know, and, and my boy Tanner uh, Tanner Bozer did it as well. You know, he, oh, yeah. you know, a, a, what a fourteen day turnaround. Yeah, quick turnaround, um, and, and again looked looked outstanding. I mean, he might. I mean, these guys are having these quick turnarounds, and I think that also shows the weight cutting. A lot of these guys are just, you know, it's just falling off of them. They're coming to fight. Bozer, a heavyweight, so obviously he's got nothing to worry about. But uh, I love it, man. I love seeing these guys have these quick turnarounds. If you fight and you're healthy, what better way to make sure that you're going to move up the rankings than just to turn around and fight again? Uh, before I get into Bozer, did you see his uh, his post fight presser where he opened the can? You know, because he's missing a tooth in the front. And he opened the monster can with his mouth. Did uh, you see that? Yeah, and it was who it was hard to watch. I think one of my teeth <laughs> fell out watching that. But hey, man, that, that explains a lot with the missing teeth. You know, the um, fight island and, and the pandemic in general. Um, it's okay. So the pandemic in general is truly. Um, it's sad when you think about it, you know, and you think about what it's done to America, not only America, but the, the entire world has right. stopped and stood still. Um, I am appreciative of the fights that we've got through the, the pandemic. And what I'm almost more appreciative of these guys like Fiziev, you know, who fought, uh, what two, two fights, uh, two cards, uh, previous, right. He right. fought two weeks ago. Yeah. On the Wednesday show. Yeah, yeah. So you have guys like Fiziev, you have Tanner Bozer, uh, Kamzat Chimiev is by far the best example of this, but it's putting these fighters who normally wouldn't get this platform up on this huge platform to where the entire world is watching. I seen that Little Wayne was tweeting during the Dan Hooker and the uh, Dustin Poirier fight. Yeah, you know, you, you see guys like Fat Joe tweeting. Uh, people, you know, celebrities um, who are as far removed from the MMA scene as you can possibly get. You know, the Demi Lovatos. Is actually a, a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, by the way. Um, you have people like that who are, you know, they're they're screenshotting um, or taking photos of their TV while they're watching the fights, and they're putting it on this huge platform. 
all these guys. Did you see how many bonuses they gave out over oh, the weekend? Yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, I mean, I wish that we could see all the kind of detailed outs because I mean, these guys deserve to be making good money for fighting at a time like this. Because a lot of these guys, I mean, they're putting on these crazy fights, but you know, are are all these guys in a training camp? Or I mean, some of these guys probably don't even have a full time gym. So that was the one thing that I, I was really. I actually tried to look up a couple of days ago and really couldn't find exactly what I was looking for. But, I mean, you have to think the payouts have to be a little bit bigger. And, again, I know there's no gate and things are a little bit more difficult in that aspect. But, guys, you mentioned, you know, fighting on such short notice, these quick turnarounds. And, again, it'd be different if everybody was training full-time and staying ready. But, I mean, I don't know about you, but, I mean, it's it's hard to find a gym. And then once you get a gym, it's hard to find a consistent amount of sparring partners so, I mean, I hope there's bonuses going on. I mean, which, I, I mean, I think if you're in a fight that is entertaining in any aspect, that should be, you know, a, a fight of the night bonus just for, I mean, maybe even a finish bonus on these cards. Let's give everyone who gets a finish something. I think that's the fighter in us, though. You that's know, true, that's we, true. Uh, I think I think that's us. I think the UFC probably looks at it a lot different, but I, they have to be appreciative of these guys. I mean, these guys, uh, even though. Um, like let's say like statistically the ratings might be a little down. I, re- I read that they were down um, over the weekend. Um, even if the ratings are down though, think of how many people are going back and they're watching the replays. And I mean, I've seen the the Whitaker and Till, you know, when they both threw the the high kick and they both did the the Muay Thai style. Oh yeah, um, the bid out. Yeah, the the back bend. I've seen that retweeted on Twitter probably at least a hundred times. I mean, you gotta think that these guys, um, or the UFC is at least showing some appreciation to these guys. Um, but let's let's while we're recapping Whitaker and Till, the number one thing that I want to talk about is Chimaev's second performance on Fight Island. The ten day turnaround didn't get hit a single time. Yeah, and I mean. This guy's a monster, and I, I'm, I'm fully on board with, with hyping him up and moving him fast. I know Dana's already said, let's get him on the August car. Let's get him you know, to Las Vegas and do something with him. Now, I will say that Ryze McKee is one of these guys that I really, truly think is a guy who can hang around the UFC and his style. Anybody who's ever watched him fight in Cage Warriors, he's got a fight of the night style. Like You put him in there with the right matchup, and it's going to be entertaining. But Absolutely. it's not going to be fun against a guy who's literally going to just go at you. And the, the crazy thing is, is the quick comparisons to Khabib. I mean, I don't see that at all. I think the only similarity is that they're both of Russian descent. I mean, that's really it. And I guess the beard. Well, no, Khabib don't have a beard anymore. But Jemayev, the way he attacks is so just, I mean, almost wild in a sense where you would think that if, you know, and if you watch any of his fights before the UFC, I mean, he can hurt you on the feet. He strikes with kind of looping punches, and that's something that Khabib hasn't done since he was real early on in his career, which, similar to Shemayev, let's not forget he is 8-0. and It's nothing crazy here, but look, I see people already calling for him to fight, you know, big-name fighters, and... I think if the UFC can take anything away from this pandemic, you said it earlier, you're giving guys these new platforms to step up. Let's build a star. Let's not play any games here. I mean, 8-0 is not a crazy record by any means, but we've seen it happen before. Throw him in there with a veteran who's done something. I've seen people throw out names like Diego Sanchez. People throw out names like Damian Maya even. I mean, those are big-time tests, so you do run the risk of moving a little bit too quickly, as the UFC's made the mistake before. But 
I see his style, and I mean, I really think that it would be hard to pick against Shamayev against a big name like that. But I mean, in terms of his statistics for two fights, it's insane to look at no matter who you're fighting. 192 strikes thrown, only receiving two in return. That's ridiculous. That is an absolutely ridiculous record right there. And I, I've seen, um, I've seen the Diego Sanchez, the excuse me, the Diego Sanchez uh, suggestion. I've seen it a couple times on Twitter. The only reason that I don't agree with that is because, um, and and I don't want to plug my own podcast by any means, but on my own podcast I went on full blown rants about CTE in combat sports and NHL and NFL. I went on full blown rants about CTE. I truly do not want to see Diego Sanchez fight again. That's just me. Like I, I agree. Yeah, I, it might be an unpopular opinion because you know he is a true veteran. You know, tough season one. I don't. He's he doesn't have anything left to prove to me. You know, he has respect in my eyes. I don't want to see him prove anything else. I really did like that Damian Maya suggestion though. And Damian Maya, I think right now sits at what he's he's number eight at welterweight or maybe number nine. Yeah, he he's in that mix, but I mean, you know, he's really kind of at that point where he's I I, I mean. I guess you would call him a gatekeeper in terms of, of where he is now at this point. you got to remember, though, he is coming off two wins before he ran into Gilbert Burns, who at the time I think people looked at that loss and started calling for Maya to retire. But out of nowhere, everyone changed their tune when, you know, then here comes Gilbert Burns, you know, just beating the absolute daylights out of Tyron Woodley. So that kind of makes people look at Maya and go, well, maybe he's not, you know, lost his edge yet. But, you know, I don't I, – that's the thing with Shemayev. Like, I'm so on the fence. Like, I really have no problem if they do want to take things a little bit slower with him because again 8-0 and he's fought okay competition but again his two UFC fights was you know John Phillips had had a big time record had been in there with some some tough guys and Phillips has always been one of those guys where you know he just throws hard so he'll even put himself in bad situations because he's looking for the knockout so that was a real big first win I mean Phillips in terms of you know numbers was a much tougher opponent than McKee McKee just took it on short notice so you could go all sorts of different directions you know where you want to go with Chimaev I think you know people have said Mike Perry as well just because then you have you know everything that Perry brings to the hype of a fight but I know Perry's kind of out dealing with the legal stuff but I mean there's all sorts of directions you can go so I think the UFC sort of puts himself in an odd situation in booking you know the fight in terms of putting them with a veteran but I agree with you about Diego Sanchez but I just think in terms of matchmaking if Diego's sitting there saying he wants to fight or even somebody like Matt Brown is sitting there saying he wants he still wants to fight I mean two guys that probably should call it a day call it a career but if they're telling matchmakers look I want to get in there both guys have name value both guys are well known you get to throw this sensation, overnight sensation, Shemayev. I mean, he he led off Sports Center that night. Nobody talked about, you know, the chess match fight between Whitaker and Till or anything else that happened. Gus returning, the Shogun trilogy. It led off with Shemayev. So you have a new sensation, a new star kind of being brought up. I just think in terms of UFC matchmaking, that will be the way to go. I think, I don't know, did Shemayev call out? Donald Cowboy Cerrone, too. I mean, I think that was another name he might have mentioned. So there's a lot of potential matchups depending on what they want to do. But if the UFC is dead serious on getting him on that card in in about two weeks, we're probably looking at another short notice kind of no big name fight on the horizon. Uh, you know what I really like about Shemaev is he can he can bounce back and forth between 170 and 185 as well, and he he done it seamlessly. Uh, seamlessly, sorry. Um, and you know, with with the Phillips fight, you know, you're moving up a weight class, 
and you're taking on an absolute wrecking machine. I mean, coming into that fight, Phillips, what's his nickname? The Welsh Wrecking Machine or the, the they, Welsh? They used to call him the White Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he just they called him something on the broadcast, and I just I thought it was so funny. It was like the the Welsh Wrecking Machine or something. Um, he, I mean, he might not be a huge name. If you follow his career outside of the UFC, he, that is a dangerous man. And to absolutely shut him down the way that he did at the weight class above what he naturally fights at, I mean, that's just absolutely impressive. Um, you know, if you're if you're wanting to look at it like that. I wouldn't have any problem maybe putting him um, against, let's say, oh, gosh, at 185. Gosh. I really don't know who you'd put him up at because we went over the 185 title title picture and, and all the the big names of that. So I, the first name that comes to mind is Derek Brunson, who, of course, is scheduled to fight Edmund Shabazian this weekend. And it's no secret who I'm picking to win that fight since uh, – <laughs> I'm already kind of kind of lining Derek Brunson up with another fight after this, but um, I don't know. He he's so awesome that you can put him at two different weight classes, and, and at welterweight, I wouldn't have any problem with him fighting. Let's say Mickey Gall. Oh yeah, that would be a that'd be a good fight. Two really good grapplers. You know, Mickey when he fought Mike Perry, he had this really good jab that he was using. So uh, there's a potential that we could see um, a little bit of Chimaev's uh, stand up in that fight. That'd be you know, that'd be a really good fight. Uh, the Mike Perry thing, you know, that would be a good fight depending on Mike's legal situation. I like the Matt Brown, you know, even though, you know, Matt Brown's kind of one of those men that doesn't really need to, to prove anything, you right. know? Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of good matchups. And, you know, the thing about Mickey Gall, and, and maybe not Mickey Gall by name, but in terms of his style, you know, if the UFC could find someone who is, you know, very slick on the ground in terms of just looking at, maybe not even looking at records, but, I mean, you need to find a guy who who can really hold their own, you know, see what this guy can do if he can't just go in there and, and go right to full mount and start throwing punches and elbows, and that that will be, a, a you know, the big test, and, you know, that was the reason I really like the Damian Maya fight, is just because, you know, would Shamaya be so confident in his ground and pound, you know, get on top of you and just well on you style, would he be confident to go in there and do that against a guy like Damian Meyer, or would we get to see a bit more of his stand-up, and would he still be wild, would he have fear of maybe Maya taking him down, and then we see Chimaev in a tough position, and, you know, those are all such tough questions, because, we you know, again, we're talking about a guy who's not even 10 fights deep in his professional career, and we're already talking about him fighting, you know, a guy who's got almost 40 MMA fights, not to mention all the jiu-jitsu and everything he's done outside of just straight MMA and, and an all-time, you know, MMA jiu-jitsu legend. But in terms of, of just, you know, seeing what he's got, I mean, we've seen it before with some of the younger upper-comer guys, and, you know, these divisions are stacked, so at the end of the day, it might not even be a guy we're mentioning. I mean, there could be guys out here who are nowhere near the top 20, top 30 that can present challenges to Chimaev, and those would probably be better ranked matchups, but you have to think that the UFC, I mean, you can just tell from the way Dana talked about it. I mean, they see gold with this guy. They see a guy that they could push and sort of build this next wave of, of superstar, and when you see what, you know, Khabib's done, and say whatever you want about Khabib, but, you know, he became a real star, and of course we're not talking, you know, a McGregor star or Jorge Masvidal star, but, I mean, there was some big name value with Khabib Nurmagomedov, and it took a while, though. You know, it didn't just happen overnight because his style wasn't always fun to watch. 
through two UFC fights, I mean, Chimaev has got that ground-and-pound style that you want to see because, I mean, you said the stats earlier. I mean, these aren't, you know, wins. These aren't him, oh, he gets a good position and then throws strikes. No, these are maulings. These are absolutely scary to watch, just dominant back-to-back performances, which, you know, makes the bloodthirsty fans want to see more and the real technical fans go, now, wait a minute, this this guy could be a, a true contender. And if you look on some different ranking websites, I went through a few different ones, uh, a lot of people have already propelled him into the top 20, top 25 in the welterweight division, which I know is the weight class he says he wants to you know, be a serious fighter in. He's got no problem going back and forth. But in terms of talking about rising up the rankings, I know 170 he feels is his best weight class. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, we've been kind of throwing out a lot of names. This this is a guy that, that spars on the regular with Alexander Gustafson, who, uh, you know, you know, albeit the performance this weekend, uh, Gus is still, I mean, they call him the mauler for a reason. You know, I mean, this is a guy who, like I said, he's training with Alexander Gustafson in seven professional fights. He's, I mean, he has this cult fan base now. I mean, this is a guy who... Um, could truly be, you know, we could truly be looking at the next George St. Pierre, or maybe the next Khabib, the next John Jones. Um, I, I know we, we said a couple names. I'm going to throw one more out there, and then I'm just going to put it into the UFC and the MMA gods' hands. I really like uh, Chemayev against Anthony Rocco Martin. Yeah. And, you know, Rocco, Rocco's a black belt uh, in jiu-jitsu. He has, you know, good stand-up. Uh, really tough guy. He fought Maya. Trains an American top team. I think that would be a perfect fight, uh, you know, for the August fifteenth card. And and you know he just fought not too long ago. Uh, he was he fought Neil Magny, yeah. yeah, and he lost he lost the decision. He looked good so, though. He just yep. ran out. He just couldn't keep up with Magny's pace, but he looked sharp. He landed some he landed some good punches against Magny. And if you're wanting to propel Chemayev to this this sort of household name, let him fight someone who. Rocco isn't a, a veteran by any means, but he's fought quite a few veterans now uh, in Neil Magny and in Damian Maya, and he does have that kind of household name. He's at a really good camp, um, so you know I wouldn't be I wouldn't be bummed out to see that fight, you know. And it's really going to show uh, Chimaev's uh, grappling when it comes to an actual Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but it's also going to show his striking because you know for sure uh, Rocco is going to try to keep it on the feet for. At least a good portion of of the uh, of the fight, you know. Yeah, and Rocco's um, a great first round fighter too, and so far that's all we've seen in Chimaev. So you know, you know Tony is going to be game for at least the opening round. So that would be the that'd be a really good a really good way to match make. Because again, I mean, this is a guy who's you know climbing up there towards you know I guess uh, fifteen total UFC fights. So I mean, that's a, that's another. I mean, still yet yeah, that's a huge step up. And if you know that's if they want to test Chimaev and kind of see where they're at and put all the coins on the table because you don't want to put Chimaev in there with another prospect, so to speak, because that just seems kind of silly. But if you're looking for a guy, I mean, I think Rocco Martin would be a, a great matchup and not an easy win. I mean, Tony's hard to beat. I mean, his many of his fights go to decision, not because they're boring, but because he's just incredibly hard to put away. But yet Tony doesn't really have fantastic finishing ability in terms of the upper echelon of the welterweight division. So, yeah, I love that matchmaking. Uh, moving forward with the Whitaker and the Till card, you know, we, um, so at Baseline MMA, we actually have a group chat going on that we all participate in and we all plug our picks into and we all kind of talk about the fights as the fights happen. Um, and I submitted my Whitaker versus Till card. And the one fight that I was absolutely the most sure of was the Alexander Gustafson over 
Fabrizio Verdum, and I had picked the Mahler to to do just that. I picked him to get a first round finish um, over the former champ, and I the reason that I said that was because um, you know Fabrizio started super slow against Alexi Olenek. Alexi was piecing him up on the feet, um, and I just I really liked Gus at heavyweight. But then this is the fight that I that I got wrong on that night, and this was the one that actually surprised me probably more than anything was the first round armbar of Gus. And uh, I don't I don't I like Gus at heavyweight. Even even after that performance, I like his speed. You know, he still kept some of the power. He still kept the the clean movements. What did you think? Yeah, I, I just think in terms of of the way we all looked at it on paper. It was clear as day, you know, you have to use that long reach. And even coming up to heavyweight, you're still a big guy with that great reach. Uh, I mean, you have, I mean, no matter, no matter what, against Fabrizio Verdum, the, the game plan has to be keep your distance, use your range, and don't let this man get a hold of you. And, and sure enough, it, it was one mistake. They got into a little bit of a scramble, and they end up hitting the ground, and immediately Fabrizio Verdum's on the back. Uh, of Gustafson, I mean, right there's you know really all she wrote at that point. As much as I think Gus is a you know top tier light heavyweight and was was you know thinking that he could probably be a top ten heavyweight as well. If you let a guy like Fabrizio Verdum literally you know sitting on your back in the first round, at that point I kind of said, oh man, you know this is not going to end well. And sure enough, he ended up getting that armbar, stretching it out, and Gus did the right thing and tapped before it got real too really too bad. And, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things where, I mean, I really honestly, if you told me they were going to fight in two weeks, I would still probably lean towards Gus just because his stand-up is so superior than Fabricio Verdum. And Verdum, you know, still a little bit slow. He definitely doesn't have the same movement on his feet that he once did. Uh, but you just can't go to the ground. You cannot go to the ground with a guy like Fabricio Verdum, no matter no matter who you are. You know, unless your name is Daniel Cormier, I really don't know any other heavyweight that can go to the ground with Fabricio Verdum and be okay in terms of getting put in a bad position, letting you know Verdum on top of you, or you know you cannot let a guy like that have your back. So I'm intrigued. You know, I still think Gus can compete at heavyweight. You got to be careful matchmaking him at heavyweight because again you know you just there's so many guys at heavyweight that can just absolutely throw bombs and I don't know if Gus is going to have the knockout power at heavyweight but there's definitely some guys he could probably piece up but uh you know it was just one of those things I mean the game plan I'm sure was to not hit the ground for Brice Overdoom and unfortunately for Gus that's what happened and it was a terrible scramble terrible position and uh, Verdum does what he does, and now it's going to be interesting to see if the UFC has any interest in giving Verdum another contract, or if uh, they let him walk, and you know we possibly see a rematch with uh, you know Fedor maybe in Bellator if Verdum possibly pursues a fight with Ryan Bader, because I'm sure those are all kind of options that Verdum's looking at, because there could be a good payday. I mean, coming off a win on your final contract uh, or your final fight on your contract, I mean that's that's a huge marketing ploy, and. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the UFC does. I think looking at the matchmaking, you and I both thought the same thing. I mean, this is this is a fight set up for Gus to look really good at heavyweight, and in the end, it kind of backfires on the UFC. And you know, looking at, at Gus's record, you know, now uh, his last three are, are losses. You know, the the KO to uh, to Jones, the was that a, was that a knockout uh, to, to John Jones? A it second? was a TKO to John Jones and a rear naked choke from Anthony Smith. And then you get submitted by Fabricio Verdum. I still like Gus at heavyweight, though. You know, if, if you look at purely rankings, I like him against uh, uh, Surreal Gain. 
I like him against Ivanov. You know, I, I think those are just two guys that he's just going to be a little bit faster and a little bit sharper than. Uh, even you take in, you know, Walt Harris. I think that that uh, you know Gus probably probably stands toe to toe with Walt Harris and, and can probably win that fight. You know, the fight that I was actually the most looking forward to at heavyweight for Alexander Gustafson um, was a, a an Alexander Gustafson and a Alistair Overeem fight. You know, I just think that would have been a really good fight. And I Gus is one of those guys that he's so powerful, even though it doesn't really look like it. He he really picks these shots absolutely perfectly. Um, you know, I, I remember when he was going into the second John Jones fight, he was training with a, a professional heavyweight boxer, um, a world champion. And I, pardon me for not remembering that that fellow's name, but um, you know, Bo, uh, excuse me, Gustafson does have really good hands. And I I thought that we would see um, maybe almost like a cat and mouse kind of game. With, with Gus and and, uh, and Fabricio, you know, I thought Gus would, would really pick his shots and then just kind of move away. You know how, how Gus stays on the back foot and he and he slips away. Um, and I thought maybe we would have a, a very similar scenario to what we had with Stipe and Verdum. You know, Verdum ends up chasing these people and just in, eats these counter shots. And, you know, against Stipe, it flatlined him. And I, I kind of thought we would see the same thing. Uh, out of Gus, I still I really like Gus at heavyweight. Um, I am one of those guys that I I don't like the weight cutting in fighting. You know I never have and I never will. And it might be the wrestler in me, but I never I never enjoyed a weight cut a day in my life. But um, you know if if Gus was to come back, I wouldn't be mad. But at this point too, outside of maybe Uriah Faber, and let's say. Um, Gosh, maybe Alistair Overeem, you know, when you when you put those two in the mix. I think Gus is in the top three most accomplished UFC fighters to never touch gold. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's no shame in that whatsoever, especially when you look at who's the champion in both the, the divisions that Gus has fought in. You know, right now it's Stipe, and, and his introduction to uh, heavyweight was uh, Fabrizio Verdum, which, you know, say what you want about Verdum, and, you know, I, I was all week, but... Uh, he does still hold incredible wins uh, to his name. You know, people make the joke C level Kane, but he he still he he took apart Kane Velasquez when when nobody thought that Kane was going to lose. You know. Yeah. And uh, he, he's I mean he's beat kind of a who's who at heavyweight. You know, inside and outside of the UFC. And and you look at light heavyweight where Gus has fought. You know, he lost to John Jones and probably what was one of the closest title fights in history. Uh, turns around and he loses very, you know, very closely to DC in a fight that he had actually dropped DC in, and I, I honestly thought he was going to finish DC in that fight uh, at at one moment. So, you know, Gus has no no shame in retiring right now. Um, I want to see him back just for my own personal selfishness, but you know, I wouldn't be mad if he retired again. But you know, you got to kind of look forward to these these fights like these uh, like Gus and, and Overeems, you know, that could be absolute bangers. Yeah, and I think there's some good things with, you know, Gus at heavyweight. And, you know, that's one of the rare times you and I disagree because there's some – I just – I look at the matchmaking in the heavyweight division. And there's a lot of fights I look at these heavyweight matchups, and I'm just not sold if Gus really has the – you know, because, again, he's got some sharp boxing. But there is a difference in the non-weight-cutting heavyweight and these – Big, bulky, there's no way in the world I could get to any other weight class besides heavyweight power. And again, you know, you mentioned serial gain. 
I mean, that's just such, that would be a fight that I would like to see because, you know, at 18 and 7 overall, you mentioned all the guys Gus has fought. Is there a chance that, you know, he, he could get chin checked by some of these hard hitting heavyweights? I mean, these guys, you know, even the non technical strikers are just, they swing with so much power that, I mean, sometimes when you move up a weight class, I mean, that's just a rude awakening. And going to heavyweight is going to be tough for anybody. I mean, and Daniel Cormier, a guy who I think when he fought Stipe the last time, we've seen that power on display. Stipe is a, a sharp boxer and he's got some heavy hands. And we never seen Cormier really piece up with punches. He had a big head kick from John Jones, and that was the one time he, he was finished. But in terms of, you know, fighting Stipe that second time, I mean, you could just see the difference in heavyweight power. So I, I would, I really, you know, if Gus wants to retire, I'm fine with that. And I agree with you, you know, in terms of him never being champion. But I would like to see him fight one more time at heavyweight against a striker. You know, maybe maybe we keep an eye on the on the Rosenstruck Dos Santos fight and see who loses that fight and how that looks. You know, Rosenstruck's a guy who I look at, and I think that could be a fun matchup for Gustafson just in terms of both guys being on the feet. You know, Dos Santos maybe is a potential fight. Derek Lewis and Alexio Linick, you know, seeing what happens in that fight, because that, that could go so many different ways. Um, someone mentioned on on social media possibly throwing out uh, Stephen Strew's name in there. You know, he he, ret- he came out of retirement, and it's coming off that loss to Ben Rothwell. I mean, that's, that's a wild fight to just think about. So there's a lot of different ways you can kind of go with with Alexander Gustafson, and you know he I think he weighed in at 240, so he definitely put on uh, some weight, and he he looked big, and maybe he I thought his footwork looked good, but I thought his hands and stuff still looked a little bit sluggish. So I don't know, you know I, I think it's one of those things where you only had a couple minutes to see it. I would love to see a little bit more of it. But I also think there's, you know, this is one of those sports where more guys should retire early. So I'd have no problem with him calling it a, a career. But, you know, the selfishness in me, the fan in me, we'd love to see just a little bit more of Gustafson at heavyweight. Because Verdum, I mean, again, that's a matchup where any fighter in the top 20 at heavyweight, you know, could probably have their moments against Verdum. But if something happens and that fight hits the ground, I mean, I would favor Verdum against any of them at this point or in back in time, of course. But. I mean, that's just the guy you don't want to go to the ground with. But, uh, you know, Fabrizio Verdum is going to be a name uh, to keep an eye on because there's a lot of potential with him going other places in terms of 1FC bolstering their heavyweight division. Bellator maybe looking for something. Uh, who knows? You know, some of these other MMA organizations come and go. I can't keep up with which ones are still putting on shows and which other ones are taking six months break. But, you know, there, there's always different things out there for Verdum to look into if he – and, I mean, from what, from what I heard – uh, there's not even a contract on the table for Verdum. There wasn't even an offer. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how he does in free agency and what he chooses to pursue. While we're on the topic of heavyweights, I do want to touch on uh, Tanner Bozer for a second, who had um, the second-round KO in what was kind of a weird situation, right? He, he, throws the, uh, he throws the left hand. I mean, it absolutely just clips uh, the temple of his opponent, but then his opponent sticks his hands out and goes to the ground, um, in kind of a weird, uh, kind of a weird stoppage, you know, cause Tanner, Tanner did, um, pursue him on the ground and throw some other punches and, and people were kind of criticizing Herb Dean for letting it go that far. Um, and Herb Dean is another thing I do want to touch on, uh, momentarily, but Tanner Bozer, you know, if, if you don't know, now you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, he just kind of, uh, over the quarantine, I mean, he's a guy who's been around, you know, he's fought surreal gain and, and before he came to the UFC, you know, he was a, uh, he was the unified, um, heavyweight champion up in Canada. I mean, he, he, he looks astounding during this pandemic, uh, time, you know, fighting twice in 14 days, both, both wins, uh, by knockout. He's calling out Maurice Green. Uh, how do you feel about that fight, or where would you put him outside of Maurice Green? Yeah, the Maurice Green fight is, is super random. I'm, I'm kind of looking for for something a little bit bigger, but I know those two had a run-in at uh, Bozer's last fight when he uh, beat Felipe Lenz. They had some kind of run-in, so that's where Bozer's going there. I like Tanner Boaster, man. I love heavyweights that have the heavyweight power, the heavyweight look, but have light feet. Oh, I love that. And I think right now... In terms of up-and-coming heavyweights, you're seeing more and more of these guys that are no longer stationary. It used to be, you know, heavyweight was kind of that stationary division, and then we've seen guys like Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos change that a little bit, and now we're starting to see more guys who are sort of heavy on the feet. So it's really nice when you see these guys who can move around, who take angles, who pick their shots, who explode at the right moment. And, uh, you know, Tanner Bowser hitting with the old uh, knuckle-in-the-eye trick, which a lot of fighters... You know, confuse that pain for a poke, but I mean, you know, that's as part of you know the type of gloves. You know, that's always been the one aspect of MMA gloves is that obviously finger pokes are a very dangerous thing. But uh, your knuckles can do a lot of damage too. But that's you know that's a legal strike as long as your hands closed. And I think that kind of made things confusing. And you know, I didn't have an issue with with that stoppage by Herb Dean because it was awkward. You know, there's awkward things that happen. And you know, I, I'm I'm a person who's literally done everything there is to do. In this sport, when I was done fighting, I, I went to matchmaking. Actually, I matchmaked before I fought, but then I've I've commentated, I've ring announced, and I've judged, and I've refed. And in terms of refereeing, there's so many situations that happen that are just, you know, awkward that you just, I mean, it's impossible to make a split second decision because you just don't know what's happening. And that's a situation one of them where a guy puts out his hand like there was a foul. But it was clear as day that Bozer had his hand closed, so as long as his hand was making a fist, I mean, anything that happened in that moment was legal. So, uh, you know, that that was one of those things. I didn't know. I kept hearing people on Twitter, or I kept seeing people on Twitter and in the broadcast say that was twice tonight Herb messed up. And I was so confused because that wasn't a, a mess up or a late stoppage to me. I mean, that's just one of those things that's awkward, and you're kind of letting... You know, uh, you're kind of letting the guy, you know, rally or not rally, but defend himself because sometimes you get hit and you say it's low, or you might even think it's low, or it hits around the top of the cup, and you know, you're you're you grimace and you hope the ref stops it or you know comes in and gives you a break. But if they don't and you get blitz, you usually recover pretty fast. So uh, no, I didn't think that one was bad at all. But in terms of Tanner Boser, I, I love how he looks at heavyweight. In each fight, he looks a little bit sharper too. So uh, you know, if him and Murray Screen need a fight, I think that could be another good fight for Tanner Boser to get another big win, especially if they can do it sometime over the next month. Uh, then I think it's time for Tanner Boser to maybe move up and fight uh, more so a name at heavyweight. And uh, let's see what he can do. You know, I, I, I like his style, I like the grittiness, and I think a lot of fans will really love his appeal and his his look to him because I mean he looks like that fun, rugged heavyweight. Yeah, I, I firmly agree. I, I really like Tanner Bozer. I wouldn't be uh, mad with a, a Surreal Gain rematch. You know, Surreal's ranked uh, within the top 15 or top 10, I believe. Uh, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be mad at that matchup. I like the, the Crochet Boss fight, you know, if, if that's, uh, you know, what it comes to. But um, the Herb Dean situation, you know, 
that was the first uh, instance, I guess. And then during the uh, Francisco Trinaldo uh, fight, people got a little mad about that stoppage. Um, I, uh, when you go back and watch it, you know, because when you're watching something for the very first time, you see uh, almost like this tunnel vision, right? You're just seeing what's happening. When you go back and you watch the replay, um, you know, Trinaldo's, you know, Trinaldo's a fighter. And anytime you, you drop somebody in any sort of impressive way, uh, you're going to immediately want the, the KO. You know, you're, you're not really going to want to follow it up on the ground. Um, and I think maybe Trinaldo was under the impression that he, uh, didn't need to throw any more strikes, I guess. And, and I, you know, I like Herb Dean. I think since John McCarthy retired, I think Herb Dean is, you know, the best in the business when it comes to, uh, refereeing. Does that mean he's going to make a mistake every now and then? You know, that's anybody makes mistakes. You know, everybody, everybody has that one day at work where, you know, they're going to, they're going to miss something, you know? Uh, but I wasn't mad with that stoppage. And the same with the Tanner Bozer fight. You know, I like, I like your idea of, of the, the giving the chance to rally and, and giving the chance to recover. Um, and you're, you're right. I've been kicked in very questionable places before. And, and you know, your first instinct is to, to kind of grab the cup and say, Oh, you know, I just got nut checked. And then, you know, if the ref doesn't stop it, you're kind of, okay, now I've got to recover. Um, I agree. I, I seen the shot that, that Tanner hit him with. I, I seen it was closed fist. You know, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, but people are saying that because, uh, and I, I truly hate that I'm forgetting, uh, the guy that, that Tanner Bozer fought, but people are saying because he had put his hands out, that was, that should have been the stop to that. And people are saying that the way that, uh, uh, that Helbert fell, you know, that should have been the, the end to that in the, in the Trinaldo fight, which, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people where I like to give people this benefit of a doubt because you have these Pat Berry versus Chet Congo moments sometimes, right? Where somebody's looking finished and, uh, you know, you could take Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler for an example as a more recent one, you know, where Robbie was absolutely pounding Ben, uh, and then Ben comes back to win the fight. Um, so I like this, the, the giving a chance to recover. And I think Herb's been around long enough that he would know, um, when someone is is done, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, and those are such. I mean, you know, those are just such tough calls. I mean, because for everyone that creates that crazy situation, you're gonna get one wrong, and that's just kind of you know the way the sport goes. I tell you what, I didn't enjoy, um, and a lot of people are probably gonna be a little pissed about this, but I did not enjoy uh, Dan Hardy's uh, confrontation of Herb Dean. Yeah, that's. <sighs> And see, I just that it's so. I'm so on the fence. First of all, on the stoppage, the way Herbert fell, like the way his hand was still glued to his chin and his chin was tucked, and it was you know a a top of the head shot. It, it was a clear, you know, I mean, it was just a pinpoint shot. And the way he fell, you know, to me, that's one of those you know instant kind of knockdown things. But you know. When a guy kind of falls in that timber style, you know, where they just fall straight down almost in slow motion. Straight yeah, back. To me, that's always sort of a instant stoppage. And, you know, sometimes in the UFC we don't see that because guys hit the ground and they wake up. You know, that impact on the ground kind of wakes them up. So uh, I, I was really shocked that the fight wasn't stopped too, especially when Trinado didn't rush him. And we've seen it so many times. I mean, you even go back to Anderson Silva and Michael Bisbing. I mean, there's been so many instances where – you kind of say what you know what what just happened, and 
you know, the crazy thing is a lot of these things can be avoided if fighters would just finish fights. And, and you know, that's the biggest thing I, I hate. It's one of my fighting pet peeves. No matter how cool you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how good your striking is, walk-off knockouts are so silly. Go finish the fight, get this over with, and you don't run the risk of something crazy happening. But nonetheless, you know, I didn't really think the stoppage – what was crazy bad. I personally thought it was late. I thought, you know, right when dude hit the ground, his eyes were still kind of glazed over. It wasn't until Trinado walked up on him that things kind of, you know, he looked like he was back. About Dan Hardy, though, you know, I didn't like the way he was so just ugh, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Just very abrasive. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's just so odd to see. The only reason I would give him the benefit of the doubt is just because of who he is. As a, you know, he's been around the sport for a long time as a fighter. You know, he's worked around all these guys, worked around the commission. I know he's one of those guys that sort of looked into every avenue of the sport while he was thinking that he was retired. I know now he's thinking about a comeback, which if he ever does come back, he better pray Herb Dean's not repping his fighter. He's going to die. <laughs> it's one of those crazy things, though, where – I mean, I think he did the moment. He made a big Instagram post talking about how, you know, everybody sees fighters and he sees friends, brothers, you know, sons and all that. So I get it. You know, I get the aspect of that, but it still seemed weird. And then to confront Herb afterward, that's the part I didn't like. You know, I don't like how he acted on commentary, but, uh, you know, there's no need to talk to Herb Dean. You know, Herb's Herb doesn't work for the UFC, and I think a lot of fans don't understand that. You know, Herb is not employed by Dana White. He's not co-workers with Dan Hardy. The commission oversees all that, so if anyone has an issue with that, it, it would be the commission. So, you know, that's an, uh, it was a very, that was just an, the whole sequence was odd. And then, you know, one of the most awkward things I've ever seen is Paul Felder doing the replay and trying to get Dan Hardy to get ready for the interview. And Paul straight up says, uh, sorry, distracted because Dan Hardy's arguing with Herb Dean. I mean, like, oh, well, put the camera on that. We don't care about the replay. I mean, that was one of the most awkward things I've ever seen on a UFC broadcast. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm with you. Fighters need to finish fights. And, and it, unless you're, Unless you're knocking people out, like let's say the way that Cody Garbrandt knocked out Rafael Sunsell, you know, Sunsell failed, but he failed face yeah. first. That's that's evident. You don't have to follow that up, um, and that's the only reason that I made the, um, I guess the statement I made a moment ago is, you know, I said that that Trinado followed him to the ground and needed to throw strikes. Throw you a couple strikes. You don't have to throw him absolutely power shots to bounce this guy's head off the canvas throw a couple little busy shots get the finish you know um i didn't like how dan hardy reacted on the on the broadcast i think if you have a problem with something um especially when you are uh essentially the only sport on tv right now um all these eyes are on you i don't think that is the time to um i guess cause a distraction to take anything away from the fighters if if that was me and you and we are, uh, you know, let's say you're Herb Dean and I'm Dan Hardy, uh, any you know it, it's it's a difference in people because you know me and Dan might be you know very different people, but if if you were Herb Dean in that situation and I was Dan Hardy, uh, I would have waited until after the interview, you know, you have the the mic off, you know, he's walking back to the desk, you know, he has to pass by Herb Dean, and I would have pulled you to the side, and I would have said, hey. Uh, can you maybe explain why you didn't right. stop that? And 
you know, instead of just berating him on TV in front of millions, you know, thousands of oh, viewers. Oh, yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this is such a different viewpoint. I mean, it's just like with judging. I mean, these – a lot of times the commentators go crazy about judging, but, I mean, the criteria and what you're looking for as a judge is so different. Now, don't get me wrong. They make a lot of horrible calls sometimes, but, you know, from – what I mean, Herb's standpoint is so different. He's literally standing right there over Herbert where he fell, so when he hit the ground, I mean – there's a good chance that in that split moment, Herb Dean seen him, his head move and him react. And that's why it didn't stop it. While, you know, our angle, we seen him, we hit, you got to think about where the commentators are. All they seen was dudes falling, his head hit the ground. So they're like, Oh my goodness, he's out. So, you know, I, I agree 100%. I mean, there's really no reason. I mean, really, honestly, there's really no reason for him to go to Herb at all. But if you really do want an explanation, I mean, you, there's no reason to do it on there. And plus we have to factor in, I mean, it's empty in there. It's just, you know, a few people, there are no fans. So anything you say, I mean, Herb Dean literally said he heard Danielle stop the fight and that made him kind of look a little bit differently and react. And by the time he stopped the fight, it kind of looked like, you know, Jai Herbert had come too. And that was a close fight. I mean, it was one to one, Trinado won round one. I think you could say that Herbert round uh, one round two. So I mean that's a close fight you're stopping. So uh, you know that's just a it was a wild situation. It was one of those things where I really wonder how the UFC will kind of look at Dan Hardy now in terms of commentary. I like Dan Hardy on on the commentary. I think he does really good. Uh, he's really good at analyzing fights, and you know he's one of those guys that's got mm -hmm. a real good mind. So he breaks things down a bit further. Uh, than some of the other fighter commentators do because he's been a commentator for a bit longer than most of the other guys. Uh, but, you know, that was just so fiery and so, you know, just abrupt and really interrupted the flow of things to where, uh, and again, I really think you have to think of where they are too. You know, it's one thing if I'm calling a football game and I'm up, you know, so many, so many feet in the air in the broadcast booth yelling that I thought a referee made a horrible call. Like I'm the referee is not actually listening to me. As you said, Herb's got a Herb can hear him loud and clear and walks right past him. So that just makes things awkward and tense for everybody involved. So you know, I know Dan Hardy's a, a fighter first, and he you know put on there that he thinks that these guys not as fighters and his brothers. But I think in that sense, you kind of got to think that you know your your what your job is. You're not there as just Dan Hardy, the fighter at a UFC event. You know, your job's to be an unbiased commentator and you know Hardy and uh the play-by-play -play guy as well Goodman they get a lot of flack for being you know a little bit of UK and Europe bias and uh, I've never really noticed it until this weekend I mean they really do hammer home these guys that are from the England and Europe and cage warrior circuit and they kind of ignore anybody else going on I, I really did notice that this weekend so uh you know I don't know I think that's something the UFC may take a closer look at because they do have so many options at commentary now with DC and with Bisbing and with Felder and with Cruz. Uh, and I'm sure there's other guys they might try to work in there too here over the next year. So uh, I wonder how they'll look at that. I read that they were doing an investigation um, on the Dan Hardy Herb Dean situation. And like I said, like I, I'm a fighter first and a fan second, you know, and I, I look at things the same way, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt in there uh, any more than they have to or any more than they sign up for it. But the the respect thing comes into play. And then you have to think the UFC is the reason that you have this platform. You know, and I'm not shitting all over Dan Hardy. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you know what I really like that Dan does is that inside the octagon segment that they put on oh, YouTube. Yeah. Where him and, and, and uh, sometimes it's Dominic Cruz, sometimes it's Goodman. I mean, where they break down fights and I, I truly love it. And you're right, he, he does have this incredible mind for fighting. 
But I think that at the end of the day, you have to think, okay, if you if you go to work tomorrow and your boss uh, makes a bad call, you're not going to call your boss out in front of everybody because you know that could potentially call you, you know, that could potentially cause you your job. Um, and so I, I, I think Dan got caught up in the heat of the moment and he probably wasn't thinking very clearly. Um, I do truly think that, that at this point they do need to have a little bit of a, maybe a one-on-one conversation, you know, in a, maybe a neutral area, uh, you know, to not, to not, uh, hopefully not get into any sort of altercation, but I would really like for, maybe Herb to explain his side to Dan and then Dan explain his side. That way they can both kind of see um, the viewpoint from each other because you're right. When we're watching a fight, we're seeing what's broadcasted to us, but these guys are to the side to where they're seeing, uh, you know, where we're seeing like maybe like a, a horizontal kind of view. They're seeing this lateral view. And it, it changes and everything too. It, it truly does. Yeah. And then you've got to think, okay, well, Herb Dean is actually in the octagon. He is with these people. He's, He's standing beside them. You know, he hears he hears every shot land. He hears you know the sound. You know when they hit the floor. Um, I just I thought it was very unprofessional of Dan Hardy, and I, I think it kind of did take away from an excellent performance uh, by Trinaldo. Who I'm, I'm with you. I think he I think it was one to one. I think he um, yeah he finished the fight. I mean he he done exactly what he was supposed to do. And and Trinaldo is one of those guys that kind of. Uh, it's not that he he has a good fight and then he has a bad fight. He just um, over the years, you know, you've kind of gotten used to seeing him put on these really gritty, really tough performances. Um, and I'm actually becoming very appreciative of Trinaldo uh, over the time that have, you know that I've I've been a fan, I've been watching him. Um, not to to kind of skip around too too much. The co-main event, the Shogun, and uh, and uh, Sorry, the Nogera, the Shogun Nogera fight. What did you think about that? Because I seen a lot of people talking about how it was going to be a one-sided blowout, and and they had this sort of uh, street rules kind of agreement that they weren't going to take it to the ground, and, and Shogun kind of took it to the ground. I actually thought it was a very entertaining I mean, fight, and I was I was I was very very. It was right where they left off. I mean, it was it was literally the the trilogy and. As always, and how it was in the first fight and the second fight, I mean, it just seems like Shogun just got just a little bit of an upper hand, even through the years. Still got a bit of an upper hand, and they were both throwing hard, and, you know, I liked it. Really, an old change. Obviously, neither guy is, is who they once were, but uh, I liked it. We've seen a lot of remnants of their pride fight, a lot of remnants of the fight back in the earlier days of the UFC. So, I mean, it went pretty much how I really thought it would. Nogueira, you know, he's got that heavy foot or heavy stance, boxing-based style. He's never went away from it. That's just, you know, Nogueira's style. Both It was both their style, honestly. And with Shogun, he's a little bit more looser with his punches, was mixing in some kicks, and as you said, did mix in the uh, broken uh, street rule takedown. Actually, I had two takedowns in the fight, but uh, at the end of the day, it was one of those fights where I think Nogueira, you know, he wanted to give one more try at Shogun before calling a career, and he went in there, and it, you know, looked it looked good. You know, I honestly sort of wondered when I was making my picks last week if if maybe you know since it's been a minute, Shogun might be able to hit him with a clean shot and put him on the back and maybe get a finish. Uh, but both guys really, I think, just one of those things where neither guy wants to look bad against the other. I mean, even though the rivalry between the two camps have, have really eased down over the years, there's still a lot there between the two teams and, of course, between Shogun and Nogueira. 
uh, was a fun fight. It was definitely a fun little flashback fight. Uh, I think it was interesting that that fight came on before the main event because you really got to see the old school and then the main event got to see a lot of the new school style and, and similar fights to where you know, both guys were really just kind of, you know, you could tell they were both well scouted. They knew each other well. So you get to see Shogun and Nogueira kind of just stand in front of each other and trade and be confident in their chins and be confident that they know the other one can't really hurt them or do too much damage because they know each other so well. And then in the main event, you know, Whitaker and Till, you know, really calculating every single move, every single step. Uh, that was actually one of my favorite parts was getting to see those two fights back to back because they were, you know, one of the same, but so very different at the same time. But, uh, you know, I, I know I said on the podcast last week and I stand by it. I know that was Nogueira's last fight, he says. I have absolutely no problem with Shogun also saying that was my last fight. I still don't see Shogun, you know, really, especially 205 pounds in any fight where I would see him as a favorite and also not worry that he he could get finished in a devastating fashion again, especially since his style has never really changed. Uh, I think that would have been a good uh, final fight for both men. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. You know what really surprised me was that neither guy finished the other one because I think it was... Maybe the beginning of the second round, they were just fucking banging back and forth. I honestly thought for a moment Noguera was going to put out Shogun, and then Noguera's on the back foot. And pride never die. I, you know what I mean? Like I absolutely loved, uh, you know, the pride fights. I still, I have a pride shirt that I, I break out every now and then for a really good just bleed kind of moment. And I wish that I would have wore it during that fight because that was. Um, Truly them paying paying homage to uh, the pride years. And I, I'm with you. I, I'm not mad if both men called a career after that. Nogueira looked a lot sharper than I originally anticipated him yeah, looking. Um, his hands, man, he – you can tell he's been – he's you can tell that he's not took a lot of time off, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Um, you know, age kind of catches up with everybody. And they're not spring chickens like like Darren and, and Rob, but at the same time, I mean, that was just an absolutely awesome fight. And you know what I'm I'm really glad is that they put it before the main event because you know a lot of eyes were on that uh you know that main event and you know maybe a lot of late tune ins probably caught the uh, the Shogun Nogera fight, but it's going to influence a lot of people to go back and hopefully our podcast, hopefully this podcast right now influences people to go. Uh, you know, they get on their UFC app and they go to the pride section and, you know, they, they bust out a couple of those old pride fights. Um, because these guys are truly, um, front runners of the sport when you really, you know, when you really think about what all they've done and, and guys like this, guys like Vanderlei Silva, guys like Vitor Belfort, you know, um, these guys are truly, um, gosh, what are the, what are the, what's the word Pioneers. I'm looking for? The the pioneers, they're the trailblazers, yeah, of the sport. And it, it was awesome seeing them both go out on a good note where truly neither one of them honestly looked all that bad. No, and that's one of the reasons I really hope that they both call it a career because in terms of you know what else you can do, and 205 is one of those divisions where uh, I know people have joked about it over the years, but you almost wish there was almost like a legends division that you could put between like, I don't know, 225 pounds to 185 pounds where – 
you know, you just don't have to fight some of these up and coming guys. And I mean, you know, the UFC is a business. They do what they do. So a lot of times they like mixing in the younger guys with some of the older guys to kind of give them that rub. I know Shogun said that he's definitely considering retirement. He was interested in Paul Craig rematch. You know, Paul Craig's not really a huge threat to have a devastating finish. He's got very slick submissions. So, you know, if the UFC is interested in possibly doing that rematch for their draw, uh, that's something I'm, I'm fine with, but I mean, there's just, you know, 205 is one of those divisions where there, there's a lot of killers, and a lot of those guys aren't even, you know, they don't even have great records. You look at a guy like Khalil Roundtree, he's 8-4, and four, and you can put him in there with somebody, but at the end of the day, Roundtree can always just show up out of nowhere and, and put your lights out, and that's, that's 205. There's just a lot of guys who don't have that name value, who you may not recognize the name, but can absolutely finish you in, in a devastating fashion. So uh, I really think, you know, this is a, this was a great fight. Uh, neither guy looked bad. Neither guy looked like they're, you know, in their prime again. It was a great throwback to pride. It completed a trilogy, you know, in terms of, you know, rivals that have had three separate fights from round one of their pride fight to round three of the fight over the weekend. Uh, you know, one of the best fun to watch trilogies of all time. So, you know, that's just the way I, I just think, you know, I said it earlier about Gustafson. There's too many guys that don't retire until they absolutely have to. You know, let this be one of them where we didn't see, you know, our last memory is neither guy getting put to sleep. Uh, it was a fun fight, a, a good way to ride off into the sunset. And, uh, you know, a lot of fighters just for some reason can't do that. And uh, I'm not sure if either one of these guys will either. Or I think Nogueira said he would, but I know Shogun seemed like he had interests elsewhere. But uh, it was a fun fight. It was a really fun throwback right before the main event. I know a lot of people uh, were wondering why that was the main event, especially with Gustafson and, you know, with Carlos Sparza possibly getting in the mix in, in the strawweight title picture. But uh, I loved it. And, and like I said, I think it was really fun to watch that fight right before the just very technical new age uh, you know, modern day MMA style of, of both Robert Whitaker and Darren Teal. Cody, could you imagine a Legends League with Shogun, Nogueira, Vandy, and then fucking Tito Ortiz? Oh, I'd watch it all day. And I mean, you could throw all kinds of guys in there. Chelsea and put him in there. I mean, Fedor is not that big. Throw him in there. I mean, you could mix around so many different guys. I've always thought it was it was a uh, I don't know if good idea is the word, but a fun idea that you know I would be all for and. Uh, there's some legends you don't want to see fight again, but there's some that you there's some that you just kind of wonder, you know, what if they were only in there with guys, you know, their age, so to speak. And uh, man, I, I mean, I think now it's to the point where a lot of these guys are getting. I think you said it earlier, we start worried about CTE and you just don't want to risk it anymore. I think three or four years ago would have been such a good time for someone to hit the launch button on that. And I know Bellator kind of turned into that for a minute, but <laughs> they kind of went a little bit younger here recently too. Give me a juice to the gills, Vitor yeah, no Belfort, and an, and, and an Uber yep. Ream, and you got me no. sold. That's if the main event. It, if we do it, there is no USADA. There's no drug test, man. We're doing it. We're doing it. Pride rules, too. I want I want soccer kicks. I need all ah, that. Soccer yeah. kicks. <laughs> Bro, the main event was an absolute chess match. And I absolutely – dude, I love fights like that. Like the Wonder Boy uh, Till fight was absolutely phenomenal for me. Uh, the very first – Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero fight was essentially it was a chess match as well, um, but this fight, man, and it kind of you know with the Shogun and the Noguera theme kind of going on, nobody lost in that Whitaker and Till fight in my opinion. I think Till's star power at middleweight is just as high as it was before, and now you can kind of say okay where where do we put this guy, um, you know after losing to Rob, but 
Rob Rob had a great showing. I was super worried about him coming back after a a KO loss and you know all the the fights that he's had to pull out of, you know, with his health and and you know all the the personal stuff that he had going on. I was super worried about where Robert Whitaker's headspace was. I think Saturday's Robert Whitaker might have been aside from uh you know winning the title. Uh I think that might have been the best Rob Whitaker we've ever seen and the same could be said for Till. I think we fully, almost fully seen Darren Till's potential in that fight. Yeah, I love Darren Till at 185. I just think he looks so much sharper. Hey, the, the hard weight cut's not on him anymore. He moves a lot, uh, a lot better. He's a lot quicker on his feet. You know, sometimes it just feels like Till won't fully commit to certain things. And I think once he gets over that little step and he's actually a bit more of his ability to fully commit to something, he'll just be a devastating striker. Feels like sometimes he just can't fully pull the trigger. Uh, Whitaker, though, on the other hand, pushed forward, just got that wild style. Uh, I love the fight, too. You know, I love the chess match style of fights where both guys kind of went back and forth. And, you know, to some, those fights aren't the most entertaining, especially here at Fight Island where we've been treated as so many just classics. Uh, this was a different kind of classic. This was two guys that had, you know, uh, seen each other fight a few times. They had scouted each other. They had trained for it. And both guys have, you know, fought in the past at 170, so they both had great body types where neither were killing themselves for the weight cut. They had the ability to go five rounds. It would seem like... They were really filling each other out, and they're just being an explosion, very similar to to the Romero fight in terms of you know just having to be real calculating, and that's the thing about many of these guys at middleweight. And I even think the Paulo Costa Israel Adesanya fight will be similar, where you have to take calculated shots. You know, if you get in a wild exchange, you don't know what's going to happen. Whitaker can't get in a wild exchange with Till because we know Till has power. You know, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a loser that comes out of this fight. We even seen Adesanya say on social media that he's still very intrigued by the aspects of Darren Till as a title challenger at middleweight just because of his style. Uh, the one thing I, I propose to you, Josh, is, is Till, uh, I think, was sort of kidding in a way. But he did bring up those linear kicks to the knee and had said that <clears throat> it had damaged his knee. And after that, he couldn't put a lot of weight on his front foot, which caused him to not be able to throw his strikes to full power. And again, I said earlier, you know, I feel like Till could pull the trigger until I actually sort of had a reason for that if he really did blow out that lead leg. But, uh, you know, those have been a big talking point, something that Whitaker's always used very well. He does a, you know, in terms of how they're supposed to look, he has a very technical style, of course, made famous by John Jones, who always was very good at attacking that part just above the knee, looking to hyperextend it. Uh, they've always been such a talking point, and I know Till made a great, you know, said it this weekend, and I, I, he said they should be illegal. I couldn't really, you know, Till's kind of hard to read at times, so I'm not sure if he was serious or joking. But, <laughs> uh, in, if, in fact, though, Whitaker attacked that knee, damaged the lead leg, Till can't throw with power, Whitaker has the advantage. So, in my mind, I mean, that's, that's a money game plan and, and a good way to get yourself a victory. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if, if, if I think back to my fights, I was really heavy on the leg kicks, and I loved that linear leg kick, that oblique kick. I absolutely loved it. And the reason for that, um, if you have somebody that's really coming at you and they're really throwing power, I mean, you just you just hit the nail on the head. You can kind of take some of that power away from them by damaging that lead leg. I think one of the one of the main people behind this sort of leg kick movement is Justin Gaethje. You know, Gaethje throws leg kicks in the clinch. He'll throw them. Uh, from afar he throws them up close and what he's doing is essentially just i mean he's chopping you down but he's slowing you down as well so he can find that number one shot 
And I really like that Rob Whitaker is kind of embracing this. Um, and, you know, John Jones did kind of make that, that side, uh, that oblique kick famous. Holly Holm uses it. You know, a lot of people from the, the Jackson Wink camp are using it. But it's, it, I mean, it stands true, you know. Robert Whitaker decimated Yoel Romero's kneecap in their fight, you know, and it kind of took a little bit of the pep out of the step with, uh, with Yoel after, you know, Yoel kind of fucked up Rob's knee as well. But I really like that, that sort of, uh, that strategic thinking, you know, and, and I always wondered, um, you know, somebody who's a really heavy hitter, like, a, like, let's say like a Cody Garbrandt or an Anthony Rumble Johnson, you know, if somebody was to just really chop away at their legs, uh, you know, how much power they would sustain after that. So I really like that that mentality and that game plan. You, you always hate for a fighter to get hurt. You know, even, even you know, I'll, I'll just use Alexander Hernandez as, a, as an example, somebody who's notably not a fan favorite. Um, you know, you still don't want to see Anthony with a broken, or I'm sorry, you still don't want to see Alexander with a, a broken orbital or, you know, a broken arm. Um, you don't want to see these guys hurt long term at all, and so I I do hate that Till um, is hurt. I think he was joking about the, the making it illegal, but you know when they told Rob that same sentiment, he said he actually mirrored what me and you said a moment ago. He wants soccer kicks back. Um, I'm the same way. I I I don't think that they should be illegal just because if, if those linear kicks are illegal, then you essentially have to make inside and outside leg kicks illegal as well because. Uh, and calf kicks as well, because when you aim them at just the right spot, you're kind of getting the same effect. You know, where the oblique kick kind of hyperextends uh, the knee backwards, those kicks are hyperextending the knee to the left or to the right. So um, I'm one of those guys. I've, I've thrown oblique kicks. I've thrown inside leg kicks, outside leg kicks. I am a leg kick, like I'm a leg kick lover. Um, and when I teach my classes, I teach a lot of leg kicks setting up other shots. Um, I do, I liked Whitaker's game plan, you know, and I, you know what I really appreciated about that fight was both guys got dropped early and they both recovered and they kind of came back and, and I will agree, Till has had this sort of problem pulling the trigger. Um, but, you know, you've seen flashes, you know, in the, you know, in the, the cowboy fight, you know, he got a finish, you know, in the Jorge fight, you know, he dropped Jorge. Um, I think that Darren Till is still young enough that, potentially these big moments might be kind of in his head a little bit if that if that makes sense you know um and i think that you know it makes him a bit overcautious and then you take in into the you know into the fact that you're fighting robert the reaper whitaker who's finished Derek brunson jacare uh went a full 10 rounds with Joel romero i mean that is an absolutely dangerous guy so i don't i don't um I don't hate the fact that Till might have not pulled the trigger, but in my mind, if you have somebody hurt in the first round and you hurt them enough to drop them, uh, you should kind of stay on their ass after that and kind of be pushing the pressure and, and pushing pushing the pace. But, um, you know, like I said, Rob came right back and, and dropped Darren. I liked their methodic approach, and I really liked that uh, for a while it was like kind of take one to give one. And, you know, we used the example a moment ago, the those Muay Thai backbend um, kind of evasions to get away from the high kick. You know, you know, Rob did it to Darren, and then he throws the head kick at Darren, and Darren does it right back. You know, it, it truly was give one to take one, kind of mirroring uh, each other. I love those fights, man. I absolutely love those fights. It kind of turns out to, um, 
you know, not who's the toughest guy or who's the the stronger guy who hits harder, but who's the smarter guy in there. You know, I really appreciate those kind of matchups. And, you know, Robert's, uh, you know, Rob's kind of veteran status, his uh, experience kind of just, uh, it outweighed Darren's. And I, like I said, I don't think either guy loses in this fight. And if Darren does have to have surgery, you know, that's going to keep him on the shelf for a while. It kind of wonders. It kind of makes you wonder where Rob goes after this, you know? Yeah, and you know, for a lot of guys, when they face when they get hit with those linear kicks, they think their legs blown out. It's usually uh, not as serious, you know. The, I mean, the last one I really think of is you know, Yoro Romero's knees were messed up, but they weren't near as bad as he had thought they were. Now Tiago uh, Santos, light heavyweight. Now both his legs were definitely definitely hurt. But I don't. The one thing I'll say about that is, in terms of in terms of making things illegal because they can hurt somebody or cause serious injury. I mean, if you start down that path, we lose the sport, essentially. I mean, the difference in an oblique kick and a heel hook. Well, you got to make a heel hook illegal. I mean, what happens if I slap on a knee bar and someone doesn't tap in time? I mean, that's where all that comes from. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to see anybody hurt. But for that 15 to 25 minutes you're in there, the objective is to win the fight. Uh, by any legal means necessary. So, you know, I've never had a problem with the oblique kick. I think definitely it's it's a unique technique, and, uh, you know, it's it's something that – but, I mean, again, throwing those kicks usually gets you off balance. So what you, you know, time one or counter one, you definitely have a slick advantage. You know, I love the calf kick. I know that's a new thing that's really taken off, especially here over the last six months or so. A lot of fighters have utilized that so well in terms of attacking the lower part of the leg. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys utilize many different leg kicks here, and as you mentioned, Justin Gagey, really the one that kind of started the trend with with not really so much looking to win by leg kick TKO, but by looking to throw you off your game plan, take away your power, take away your ability to move, and that that makes things you know so much easier for him to attack. In terms of of the UFC middleweight division, you know, of course now, really everybody gets kind of put on the shelf as we wait for September in Israel and Paulo because, I mean, that's one of those fights where I think you can look at it so many different ways. Costa's got so much power. He is going to definitely be bigger than Adesanya. But, again, it's really hard to think, you know, about a guy who's 19-0, and 0, you know, losing a fight, period, especially with the kind of style and just the streak Adesanya has been on. But uh, I think it's hard not to think that Robert Whitaker is next in line. I mean, I think he sits there and – if there's uh, anything clean that happens in that main event, if Adesanya gets a quick finish, if Costa gets a quick finish, uh, if if either guy gets completely outclassed for four to five rounds, you're really looking at, at Whitaker sliding right back in there, especially in terms of a rematch against Adesanya or potentially a fight against Paulo Costa. You know, I don't think, uh, I don't know for sure, but I just don't know if if there's really any reason for Whitaker to take another fight. You know, Jared Cannonier is the only name that I would kind of throw out there. Uh, Jack Hermanson also, you know, has kind of earned a chance to possibly, you know, take on a guy in the top five in the mix. But I think those are both fights where if I'm Robert Whitaker, I go, eh, you know, I'm former champion. Me and Israel fought. It was, you know, kind of a, a wild thing. And I signed to just hit the pinpoint shot. Uh, a lot of guys have got rematches for, for much less. So I think if I'm Whitaker, I'm kind of 
cool with with sitting and, and just waiting and seeing what happens. They got five rounds in with a great striker, uh, and he looked great. You know, he got dropped, but it was one of those things where you know, again, Till didn't really pull the trigger so much as he went forward. He just kind of countered with a perfectly timed elbow that dropped Whitaker. So you know, I think I think all in all, you know, besides obviously that that, that just quick first round moment where. Whitaker just threw that one looping punch at the wrong time and got elbowed. I mean, Whitaker looked outstanding. I think Till looked very, very good. He looked a lot more, uh, he looked a lot less gun shy in this fight than he did against Gastelum. So that was good to see. But I really think that if I'm Robert Whitaker, I, I sit back, I relax, I go home, and, and I see what happens in September with Adesanya and Costa. And if nothing else, uh, I jump in the gym and I make sure I'm still in shape and still on weight. Because you just never know what can happen, especially in a pandemic and things going on. If Adesanya or Costa fall out, I would definitely throw my name in there uh, to possibly see if I can get into into a fight pretty quickly. But you know, middleweight's one of those divisions, man. There's there's just a lot happening, but the division's kind of starting to get to where we've seen a lot of the fights. You know, Yoro Romero and Uriah Hall's got their fight coming up. Cannoneer's kind of sitting and waiting. Jack Hermanson's coming off another big win. He kind of sees what he's doing. I mean, there's a good chance Cannoneer Hermanson rematch could be on the horizon. Uh, and then you obviously you got the fight we'll talk about here shortly with uh, you know Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian, who's just looked so good. It's 11 and 0. We still don't really know if he's uh, an up and comer, a prospect, or a future title challenger. I mean, there's he's sort of right there on that fence. We'll learn more about that this weekend. So there's still so much that could happen in that middleweight division. So uh, you know, if I'm Whitaker, I'm just kind of content to. Uh, Stay in shape and see what happens. I just, I'm just not sure. As much as I think Whitaker, especially Whitaker against Cannonier, would be a fun fight. I just don't know if that fight's got a big reward at the end for Whitaker if it's worth the risk. Yeah, and I agree 100%. I'm not sure that any fight for Rob Whitaker other than a title fight right now, you know, the risk isn't worth the reward. Especially when you look at. Um, you know, Rob Whitaker's path to the title, you know, when he moved up to middleweight, he fought Brad Tavares, Uriah Hall, uh, uh, Brunson, you know, Jacare, he fought UL, uh, once for the vacant title, then then defended the title against him. I mean, Rob Whitaker has essentially fought the who's who at middleweight outside of, you know, let's say Anderson Silva and, and Chael Son. you know, Chael's gone, Anderson's, um, you know, actually, since I said that, I don't know Anderson's status right now. Is he is he gone from? Anderson is he retiring? Silva, uh, last time I checked, he was gunning for a fight against Anthony Pettis at a random weight, like 175 pounds. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you look at at um, at Silva, and you, you know his his star power is still there, but it makes no sense, you know. Um, but I mean. Like I said, Rob Whitaker had this killer's row of of people on his path to the title. Um, yeah, and middleweight's one of those divisions you've not really got that many new uh, like new bloomers, you know. And, and outside of Till, now the only people that uh, Whitaker hasn't really faced would be Cannoneer, Hermanson, and Gastelum. You know, him and Gastelum were, were supposed to fight each other, and uh, you know that's what gifted us that beautiful Israel Adesanya and, and Gastelum fight. But, you know, Gaslam's on a skid. Uh, you know, Cannoneer's been sitting out for a while. Hermanson is the only fight that I could see making sense for Rob if he wants to kind of go down that noble path and say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll stay busy and I'll earn my right. shot, you know. Um, but even still, you know, the risk isn't worth the reward booking a fight right now. This close to September, you know, Rob didn't look too, too badly injured, you know, maybe a couple stitches, and essentially he could be ready for a turnaround in September if something was to happen. 
So I really like his idea to sit out. And, you know, Edmund Shabazian isn't a high enough name. I mean, maybe after this weekend, you know, it might propel him into something that could be um, within Robert Whitaker's uh, orbit. But still, I can't see them wanting to throw Shabazian to the wolves right. like that. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm Sit out, Rob. Take your time and wait and see what happens with the the middleweight title picture in September. And and as you know, as far as Till goes, if Till doesn't have any super bad injuries, you know, and he can come back, you know, I truly would not be mad with him and him and Hermanson. I wouldn't be mad with him and Cannoneer, you know. Um, there's a lot of fun matchups you can make with Darren Till at middleweight. Um but it's it's one of those things where uh there's fun fights for just about everybody on the roster but there's always a title picture kind of holding everybody back yeah and that's know? that's kind of what's happening here with with Whitaker and, and you know again there's so many great fights for Whitaker in terms of if he wanted to do as you said the noble thing cuz i mean Whitaker and Hermanson is just a fight that i i really think is just would be so fun to watch because Hermanson's got a little bit more of a, a more wild style. I mean, Hermanson really in a way reminds me of, of a Yoel Romero type fighter where he kind of takes some really maybe not the most intelligent risks, but he can recover if it doesn't go well. I mean, he can put himself in dangerous situations and really recover. Uh, I, I love that fight, but I just don't think in terms of Whitaker is a smart move and, you know, just kind of jumping ship in, into the card coming up this weekend with Derek Brunson and, and Edmund Shabazian. You know, Shabazian's one of these guys where he's an up-and-comer, he's a big name, he's got the O in his lost column, so all eyes are on him, and, you know, we mentioned the middleweight division kind of in that place where we've seen a lot of these guys have their chances and either, you know, fight for the title and lose or lose to a top contender. Right now, it's just kind of a stalemate in terms of now just mixing guys up and finding the right fight. You know, if Shabazian goes in there and, and makes quick work of Derek Brunson, then we kind of start looking at him in a different light. And again, I agree with me and you are both on the same page in terms of Whitaker where there's just not a fight right now that would make sense to take. But in terms of some of those other guys, you know, I mean, if Shabazian goes in there and he just, you know, puts Brunson down and, and propels himself into really the top eight of the division, I mean, then you start looking at a fight with Jared Kennanier. Then you start saying, well, well, let's really test him. Let's throw him in there with Jack Hermanson. You know, only 12-0, I know. But in terms of this division, it's really easy that he could have a big win. We know he's got Ronda Rousey with him. He comes from that gym where there's going to be a little bit extra limelight on him anyway. Head oh, movement. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of head movement. I mean, he's got kind of the things where if they, if, you know, we get a lot of, if he looks really good, if he does anything, gets a quick finish or just makes Brunson look bad, I mean, there's a good chance he, he propels to that top contendership and we start looking at him maybe just one fight away from potentially diving into the title pitcher. So, uh, and again, anytime you have an O next to your name, it really just kind of adds that different element. So he's rose up the ranks fast, you know, wins over Charles Bird, Marshman, Brad Tavares in his last three, and they've all been finishes. If he can make it four for four against Brunson, I mean, we're talking a big-time prospect. But uh, Derek Brunson, I mean, he's he's had some fights where he's not looked great, but he's coming off two wins against, you know, two guys who are who are tough to figure out at times, and, and, and Ian Isaac and Elias Theodoro. So, you know, Brunson's not a guy I want to look past. But, uh, again, this just kind of feels like one of those gatekeeper matchups that's dangerous in a way because of Brunson's power. But uh, I really think Shabazian's a heavy favorite. And I agree 100%. Um, and when we were making our picks earlier, I 
I did note that Derek Brunson is no slouch, but you've also got to think, you know, um, he is he's 36 years old, and he has kind of had a, a hard time with these um, technical strikers. You know, when you watch what Israel Adesanya done to him, when you watch what Robert Whitaker done to him, it's kind of hard to not think that Edmund Shabazian has the ability to do that to him as well. And Shabazian's coming off the Brad Tavares victory, and Brad Tavares is no slouch either. I mean, Brad Tavares has been in there with some of the division's best. I mean, hell, he's been in there with now the current and the former champ, you know? Um, so I, he, he he does have this notable win to his name, Shabazian does. He does come uh, from the same camp as Ronda Rousey, Manny Gamburian back in the day. You know, shout out to Manny because it's a name you don't really hear all that often. Um, but, you know, he he was one of Ronda's training partners, so you know his, um, his grappling at least is competent. You know, we've not got to see a lot of it. You know, we've we've seen little flashes here and there. Um, but his grappling is competent and his his stand up is just absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, you gotta think that he he does some serious damage to Derek Brunson this weekend, but that same you know, at the same time, Brunson is a very gifted wrestler and he is a heavy handed striker, so it's one of those fights where if Brunson was to win, I wouldn't be all that surprised, but I am expecting Shabazian to absolutely blow through him, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I, I watched a lot of Shabazian fights, just kind of catching up on him because it's been a minute since I've seen him uh, actually fighting live. But uh, he's one of those guys where I'm looking for him to kind of take that next step. You know, he's looked good. He's looked flashy at times. He's got some slick skills. I can definitely see him get past Derek Brunson, but that's kind of where I lose him. I just don't know how he would fare uh, against the, uh, you know, Gastelums, the Teals, Hermansons, Kennedyers, guys like that. You know, those would be much harder fights to really side with him. So I'm excited to see if he's got any new tricks up his sleeve against Brunson. Uh, I do think he's, he's again, the favorite. Uh, I'm going to pick him. Uh, I've not yet nailed it down if I'm picking first or second round finish, uh, but I am thinking that he will finish Derek Brunson. And I like Derek Brunson. He's very explosive. He's, he's got, you know, the ability to really do things that just, you know, we talked earlier about Darren Till not pulling the trigger. Brunson doesn't have that problem. It, it's out of nowhere. It's explosive. <laughs> it's bam. Out of nowhere, he catch you off guard. It, it's just a, a different kind of power that many fighters don't have. It's It seems like a lot of guys are all power or all speed, and Brunson does a great job at really combining that either on a takedown or on a big haymaker, a looping overhand. And I think if uh, Shabazzian gets flashier, gets caught with his hands down, uh, you said it perfectly. I'm picking Shabazzian. Would not be surprised one bit if Brunson looks impressive. But, uh, man, this is one of those cards that I think with the UFC returning from Fight Island really flying under the radar, there are some fun fights on the card. Uh, anytime you got Vicente Luque on the card, you know you're going to get a fight of the night style fight oh, there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Randy Brown's a guy who's also got a fun style, so uh, I think Luque's a favorite in that fight as well, but I think that's a scrap. And then, you know, the shocker of really the week that snuck up on everybody. I mean, JoJo Calderwood was a name I was thinking was going to be fighting Valentina sometime, maybe before the end of the year, and then out of nowhere on short notice, JoJo jumps in here against Jennifer Maya, so. Uh, those are fun fights. Kevin Holland and Trevin Giles. Uh, Lando Venata against Bobby Green. Those guys are going to rematch. I mean, this is a one of those cards that maybe doesn't have the name value of some of the Fight Island cards. But, I mean, that could, this could be a fight card where you watch, you know, four fight of the nights and then a breakout main event where we see a guy become a contender. Oh, absolutely. And I, I said it earlier earlier today, and, and it'll be on the Baseline, uh, the Baseline Times website, our picks. I said it in my picks. 
this is an absolutely beautiful card from top to bottom. And the only thing it's missing is, you know, like you said, name value. But you have these guys like Kevin Holland who, uh, I don't know if you watched Kevin's last fight or, or you, uh, you remember it. Um, I actually didn't remember it until today when I was, I was filling out my picks. He had a flawless victory in his last fight. I mean, he looked absolutely incredible. Trevin Giles, um, he, he won the, the decision over James Krause, but he threw up five, uh, I think it was five submission attempts in that fight. Um, you know, Trevin Giles is no slouch at all. My, like, as of right now, my highlighted fight for fight of the night is Vicente Luque and Randy Brown. And, uh, you know, Vicente Luque is becoming must-watch TV anymore, you know. Uh, you look back to his fight with Wonder Boy, you know, even even getting kind of picked apart by such a decorated striker as Wonder Boy, he still had these moments where he was actually catching Wonder Boy, and, and it had a lot of people kind of on edge that he might be able to to knock out Wonder Boy uh, because he does have that power. And, you know, before that, the absolute war in Arizona with Brian Barberina was just a textbook Vicente Luque uh, performance. You know, you look at what he done to Mike Perry. In the same uh, regard, though, Randy Brown is an absolute killer, and he's really rangy too. And you got to think when the when Vicente Luque fought uh, Wonder Boy, he was kind of outmatched by the range and the uh, you know the rangier fighter. You know, Randy Brown, he's he's gonna have the reach advantage. So you got to wonder what that uh, you know what that fight's gonna bring. And like I said, I have it kind of picked for my fight of the night. The Lando-Bobby Green fight could be absolute fireworks again. They went to a unanimous draw the first time they fought. And then, yeah, you mentioned it, Calderwood taking Jennifer Maya on short notice. And I actually wanted to ask you about that. Do you think that a lot of these fighters are kind of taking these short notice fights because of the the pandemic and the money is kind of tight right now? And, and uh, I was honestly wondering if potentially that was why Joanne Calderwood was kind of taking this fight. You know, she's giving up a uh, what was a preserved title shot, an absolutely a guaranteed title shot, to take on an absolutely dangerous fight in Jennifer Maya. Um, do you kind of think that's something to do with the pandemic and the the monetary issues that maybe a lot of these fighters are kind of kind of going you through know, right honestly, now? Honestly, I don't know. I don't think so, really. I think, you know, she's with uh, Coach John Wood now, and she's uh, actually, like, seriously with Coach Wood. I think they're actually, like, planning a mar- uh, to get married. But, uh, you know, what really I think is looking at this flyweight division, A, I think there's still a lot of question about Valentina Shevchenko's hip. I don't know if they really know for sure when she'll be able to return. So that kind of leaves a lot of uncertainty. And I really think the big name out there is Caitlin Chukagian. I think Chukagian fought most recently. She had that dominating, I mean dominating win over Valentina Shevchenko, or I'm sorry, against Antonia Shevchenko, her sister. So in terms of getting the rematch against Valentina, she's sort of kind of jumps in the lead and looking at JoJo Calderwood, you know, she's coming off a win, she had the title fight booked then it fell through, but Calderwood is just, you know, one year away, back in June of 2019, to losing to Chukagian, so I think in her mind, it's one of those things where she says um, you know, I don't know if you know, I should just sit around and wait because if they keep pushing it back, what if I'm not ready to fight in December or what happens? So I think Calderwood decided to kind of look at things and say, you know, I'm going to just go in there and fight. 
So she actually did an interview with, I think, MMA Junkie, where she said that when the, the fight got pushed back, she was already training. She felt good, and she, her and Coach Wood reached out to the UFC and said that you know she wanted to take a fight. And sure enough, a day later, they said, well, we've had a, a fall through, and Jennifer Maya's ready to go, and Jennifer Maya's no slouch. It's one of those fights where, you know, if Calderwood goes into here and she looks great, she throws great knees, she shows off that outstanding Muay Thai game, and she just she gets a late finish or an early finish, whichever, if she looks good, I think that's a big staple in the matchmaker's mind, and that says, no doubt, when Valentina's ready to go, she gets JoJo Calderwood. But on the other hand, if she goes in there, doesn't look good, or she loses, I mean, it, it's gone from there. She's not getting another fight, but... uh. You know, JoJo's looked great. She's looked very good in her last couple fights. Even when she's lost, she she always performs well. She's one of those fighters that's just got that fun-to-watch style. You know, her one loss over the last year was to Chukagan. She's one of these rare uh, top-tier 125-pound fighters. She's only been at flyweight for a couple of years. I know she came up from strawweight, but she's one of these stylistic fighters where there's potential that she could actually give Valentina a little bit of a challenge. Not saying I don't think she could beat her. I don't think she's really a favorite in any way against Shevchenko. But with her style, her Muay Thai background, it does present opportunity for that to be a close fight. And in that flyweight division on the women's side, you know that's what they're looking for because there's just not a lot of that there right now. We've really seen every single fight already. And in, in terms of Caitlin Chukagian, we've seen her beat everyone else there is to beat. So it would be a rematch with someone who, you know, beat her up pretty bad in the last fight. That was actually Shevchenko's last fight was beating Chukagian, so they don't really want to do the immediate rematch. But, uh, you know, for Calderwood, it's just one of those things we talked about earlier with Robert Whitaker. We both suggest he sits on the sideline and waits because the risk is better than the reward. Of course, he can go out there. He could fight Jack Hermanson and, and beat him up, finish him, dominate him. And, hey, then it's a guarantee you're definitely getting the title shot. But, I mean, he may get the title shot anyway. So, JoJo's taking a, a big risk here. But uh, if she goes in there and beats up Jennifer Maya, gets a finish against someone who is hard to finish and who's a, a tough girl herself, it just really kind of puts an exclamation point on JoJo being the number one contender uh, in a division where there's a lot of girls kind of gunning. Uh, we mentioned Chukagan. Cynthia Calvillo just made her debut in the division, beat up Jessica I. Uh, Lauren Murphy doesn't have a lot of fans, but nonetheless, she's on a three-fight winning streak. So, that's really about all it takes to, to earn that top contendership in a division that's so dominant by Valentina Shevchenko where, you know, they're really running low on contenders. So definitely a risk, definitely a risk that might be greater than the reward, but it's a chance for JoJo to really underline, bold, capitalize, whatever you want to do to her name as the number one contender. I like that way of thinking. And, uh, you know, Calderwood on paper is a little bit more of a, like a balanced fighter, um, than Jennifer Maia. You know, she can she can attack you on the feet with that sweet Muay Thai background. Uh, you mentioned John Wood. You know, she's she's starting to really hammer home her, her jiu-jitsu uh, game, and she's training with people like Roxanne Modafferi, who, um, you know, Roxanne is, is incredible on the ground. Um, I really like her, her chances in this fight, but I'm kind of, you know, this to me is, you know, you mentioned it, it's a lot like the Robert Whitaker situation, almost like why risk the uh the inevitable title shot um and i think part of it might be just you know kind of trying to stay active in between um you know in, in between the months you know because if if chevy comes back by december um at least calderwood will she she shouldn't have any any ring rust i guess um and and another thing to note is jennifer maya missed weight in her last two fights too 
Um, so you got to wonder how that's going to kind of play into into this Saturday. Um, I really like this this Bobby Green and this Lando Venata rematch. Both guys, you know, Bobby Green coming off the win over uh, Clay Guida, Lando Venata coming off the uh, the win over uh, Yancey Maderos. I'm kind of wondering if we're going to get a mirror image of the first fight and it's just going to be an absolute brawl or, uh, you know, if one guy can kind of establish the game plan early, you know, Lando against Yancey, you know, Lando's kind of been one of these guys who he took the short notice fight against Tony Ferguson and looked absolutely incredible. Um, and then, you know, since then he's kind of, it's almost like he's lackadaisical in a way, you know, he, he would rather put on an incredible show than than win the fight sometimes, it seems. And as much as I kind of respect that, I also kind of have to question that um, that mentality, especially coming from Jackson Wink, from a, a Jackson Wink camp. I think Lando has this incredible potential that hasn't really been realized yet. Um, and I'm almost wondering if, you know, after that, the Yancey Madero's fight, if this could be a more focused and a smarter Lando Venata going in there against Bobby Green, who is an absolutely deadly striker. Um, and, you know, the Randy Brown and Vicente Luque fight, I could talk about that all day long, but that Kevin Holland and, and, and Trevin Giles fight, I mean, that's this is a truly incredible card, and we lost a fight. We lost Irene Aldana and, and Holly Holm, which was supposed to be the uh, headline, yes, correct? Yes, they, they postponed it for... Really, did they really ever give a full reason? They just said that it would be booked on a later show. But uh, really, I'm not too upset about that. I like getting to see. Uh, you know, I was excited to see if Aldania could hang with home striking. But I do like that we're going to get a bit more of a uh, look at Shabazian in a five round fight, just in case it does go the distance. That's always a good chance to sort of gauge where a prospect is. But uh, you know, I love the fight card. I love these cards where we're not really getting the big time name. We're not really seeing. You know, these guys that we've seen many times in the past, we're getting just a bunch of good fights. And that's what this whole main card is. They're well-matched good fights. Holland and Giles is a great fight on paper. Uh, Venata and Green, a fight we've seen. But I think both guys have potential to go in there and do so many different things. You already mentioned that Luque and Brown are both just fight of the night waiting to happen. Vincente Luque has got such a good track record of just getting in absolute brawls. And if they're not brawls, that's because he finishes you early. We mentioned JoJo Calderwood. We could be looking at you know someone who could punch their ticket to a title shot and then a chance to kind of get a highlight um, on that middleweight division. Derek Brunson, you know, is he a gatekeeper? Does he have a little bit more left in the tank? Or Shabazian? And you know, the prelims got some good fights too. Anytime you get to see Gerald Mearshart, I'm excited. He's got a great ground game against someone like Ed Herman, who's a veteran of the sport. Gerald's moving up in weight, coming up to 205 to fight a veteran and Ed Herman. Uh, two guys, I think combined. I mean, we're looking at like 60 over 60 fights combined between Herman and Mearshart, so that'll be fun. A couple of good bantamweight fights with uh, Frankie Sanaz and Jonathan Martinez, plus Ray Borg is back and he's fighting at 135 pounds. So there's a, a lot of good fights on the card or on the undercard card as well and you know that's been fun it's been fun to watch the preliminary card on some of these shows too because a lot of these fights are, are literally getting made 10 days out or less so it's really these guys that are just getting the call making sure they're on weight and coming into fight and we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast that's led to some exciting fights and some breakout performances as well from some guys who you know didn't have ufc contracts and now they do and really you're fighting to keep it 
I mean, because the UFC is hiring a bunch of guys right now. The roster was already just way too inflated. So really, a lot of these guys were getting brought in. And it's, you know, maybe not win or go home, but it's put on show or go home. If you go in there and lay an egg, I mean, this could be your one and done. Or you could go in there and earn a shot to, to stick around the promotion. So there's going to be a lot of young guys that have a chance to do that on, on the preliminary card. Uh, but, you know, I think there's some good fights. I think I missed one. Uh, middleweight, uh, Spicely's back. He's taking on uh, Marcus Perez. So there's some fun fights on this whole card. But that main card, man, I think that's one of those things that we'll think Holland and Giles is the fight of the night. Then we'll think Lando and Green's the fight of the night. And then here comes Vicente Luque to take money away from everybody. So it's just going to be a fun show from top to bottom. I do not want to bum you out by any means, but I just read that Shabazian and Brunson are actually going to be a three-round. Oh, well, hopefully Shabazian gets it done quick then. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. Even even over three rounds, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing what Shabazian has for 15 minutes. And I, I really do like your sentiment about this whole put-on-a-show-or-shut-up kind of thing. You know, I'm I'm right there with you, you know, and especially the, the Tuesday Night Contender Series is about to kick back up. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I really like a lot of this new talent coming in, but it's, it's kind of, it's kind of this, this, uh, I guess unspoken street law. You got to show up or show out, you know? Um, I really do think this is going to be a really good sleeper card, you know, and it's back in the apex, the shortened, um, or I'm sorry, the, the smaller cage, which always produces, maybe it's just a mental thing, but it, it seems to produce a, a little bit more. Uh, violence and, and we get some more finishes and i i truly do think this is going to be one of those really good cards um you know if you look outside of this card you know we did get some pretty sweet fight news today gaichi and and khabib finally got booked uh it is in the books and official um for what is that september um uh, i think it's october 16th or no october 24th yes uh, 24th yes yeah, so we, we finally got that. That's finally announced, which that's going to be absolutely, um, absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, we just, it's it's such a cool time. You know, I said it last time. It's such a cool time to be an MMA fan. Uh, you know, Lewis and Ole Nick on, on August the 8th. Um, you know, the upcoming UFC 4 coming out soon, you know. I, this is, it's truly a really fun time to be um a fight fan and you know cody garbrandt done an interview earlier saying that he might drop to 25 and take on davis oh, and yeah. figueredo i mean that's pure violence yeah, that's right a there. fun fight and the crazy thing is and, and i'll talk about two things here you know that fight card next week only has that one fight announced we know nothing else about that card besides Derek lewis and aleski olenic that's the only fight that's been officially confirmed there's some rumors but that's the only fight officially confirmed so if that don't tell you how the <laughs> ufc is working right now i mean they're literally putting these shows together on a whim so i'm sure sometime this weekend or friday or saturday they'll release an image of the full card but that's just crazy to think how mad people would have been a year ago if there was a fight literally next week and we didn't know but uh it's sneaking up on everybody man we're two weeks away from uh Miochik cormier three and i mean that's one of those things where it, it felt like it was never gonna happen then they announced it and it felt so far away and now we're two weeks away from maybe the greatest heavyweight trilogy ever in terms of both guys got really clean wins against one another so now they fight one final time and you know it's one of those fights where i just really it's where you know I'm, I'm i'm gonna make my picks for this week then i'll of course make my picks for next week but i'm already really struggling with who i'm picking in that fight because i just don't know and you know that's another one of those cards that's really stacked anytime you get to see sugar sean i'm excited 
excited because they didn't give him an easy fight. You know, Chico Vera is one of those guys whose record may not blow you away, but Chico can fight, and there's no way he's going to get beat by just a little jab or anything from Sugar Sean. He is going to bring the fight, and we're going to really get to learn a lot about Sugar Sean O'Malley, who's been one of my favorite guys to watch here lately. And uh, I think one of the most underrated fights on paper over the next month is Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar. I cannot wait to see that fight oh my at God, 135 yes. pounds. I think those are two of the most underrated guys. You know, Frankie Edgar may be the most underappreciated fighter ever in the history of mixed martial arts. And Pedro Munoz, the guy who just enough people don't talk about. So I can't wait for that fight as well. And I know that's two weeks away, getting way ahead of ourselves. But just looking at that card gets me excited. But I, I can't wait for this this fight this weekend. I really think this is one of those cards where uh, some people, you know, we you know at the beginning of the show you kind of brought up ratings. This is one of those cards where you're not going to have a lot of your casual fans maybe jump in and watch. And again, there's a lot of sports coming back. Major League Baseball, for the most part, is back. I think the NBA starts picking up steam here at the end of this week as well. There's a lot of other sporting events starting to really get happening again. And, you know, the UFC had kind of that moment where they were by themselves in the limelight. Now that's kind of being pushed away. So, of course, they'll get, you know, the, the some of that attention back when they get to that heavyweight title fight. But this is one of those fights where a lot of people are going to be bummed they missed out because I think this I think this main card especially you're going to get five fun fights in a row and I I forgot all about that smaller cage and you said it may be mental I disagree for someone who fought I know you feel the same <laughs> way man when they trap you in those small cages man it's it, it feels like you're scrapping for food I mean it feels like it, you have you have no choice I mean there's no running away there's no getting away you're kind of stuck I mean I tell you right now. Out of every fighter in the UFC to put me in a small cage with, Vicente Luque is not a guy I want to fight some small cage with. That's going to be just an absolute battle. Good luck to Randy Brown. Oh, 125%. And, and you know, on top of that, you know, Lando and Bobby Green are the same way. You know, they're two guys that, that the small cage will definitely benefit. Um, and you can say the same with, with Kevin Holland and Trevin Giles. I mean, you just kind of said it, the ratings might be down, but damn, this is looking like every fight could potentially could potentially give you a fight of the night or maybe even a fight of the year candidate when you really think about what could happen with, with Luke and Brown and, and what, what really could happen with, with Green and Venata. Um, you mentioned the UFC 252 card a second ago, and, and one of the names that I've not really seen be talked about too, too often is Manal Cape coming over from Ryzen, who... Um, you know he he beat my uh, my buddy Ian McCall and and uh, he's been on an absolute tear. Manel Cape and he he signed to the UFC. He's making his UFC debut on that that 252 card at flyweight, and that could be another potentially really good matchup for uh, Davis and Figueredo. I mean, there are so many good fights coming up, and you know, like you said, that Stipe and Daniel Cormier fight could be one of the best heavyweight trilogies of all time, depending on how it goes. I don't want a repeat of either fight, if that makes sense. I don't want a, you know, a first-round knockout, but I also don't want uh, an absolute domination and then a quick adjustment. You know, I want I want a battle, which is what I kind of think is, is what we're going to get out of both of these guys, and you kind of have to wonder where both of these guys go after this. Um are we making our picks for the Shabazian and, and yeah, Brunson card? Okay, so, uh, and all of our picks will be on the Baseline Times website. Um, but so far, I've got 
at this moment in time. I have Kevin Holland by first round KO. I have Vicente Luque by unanimous decision. With Bobby Green and Lando, I had a really hard time with this, and I changed my pick twice already. I'm going with Lando by split decision. I have Joanne Calderwood by decision. And I'm going to go with Edmund over Brunson with a second-round TKO. I don't think he's going to knock Brunson absolutely flat. I think maybe maybe ground and pound or maybe up against the cage. I, I just I can't see him... I you know Brunson's so tough man he's been in there with some absolute killers I just I can't give the full KO to to Edmund Shabazi and I'm I'm gonna go TKO in the second round yeah I like that I actually have Holland winning the fight by third round TKO I actually picked Green by decision so I'm going with Green decision there I picked uh, Vincente Luque by second round finish I picked Joanne Calderwood by decision and then here's the crazy thing i was gonna pick edmund by fourth round tko you told me that it was a three round fight so now i (laughs) think i'm gonna still say that edmund ends up going the whole 15 minutes i think i I think it'll be one of those things where he's uh kind of shows off a little bit looks a little flashy mixes in some different things i think there'll be times where maybe brunson gets wobbled may get hurt but i think brunson will be able to kind of stick in there I think uh, if we're just doing three rounds, I think that'll be a 15-minute decision for Shabazian. But I think it's one of those fights where he's got a lot of opportunity to look really good throughout that 15 minutes. And and you mentioned it. It's a good chance for him to kind of get a showcase. Sometimes if you go in there and get a bunch of first-round finishes, everybody talks about you, but we never really get to see you. And I think if Shabazian can go in there and get just 15 minutes of just good work where he he just outclasses Derek Brunson, that may do more for him at this point than going in there and and just, you know, knocking him out or submitting him in, in two or three minutes. So I think we'll see a nice little 15-minute showcase for Shabazian. But uh, that, that's the way I, I'm looking at the main card. The only fight that we are picking against each other on is that Green and Venata fight. And I, I truly, I picked Bobby Green the very first time I did it. And I picked him. I, I honestly kind of thought that it would go to a decision. And then I said, you know what? I said, Lando might get a finish over green, you know, because Lando looked absolutely incredible against, against Yancey Medeiros. And then I had to change it again. I said, no, this is going to go all three rounds. It's going to be bloody. Um, but I, I still, I'm kind of thinking that green might pull it, or uh, I'm sorry, Venata might pull it out, but it's one of those fights. I'm not going to be surprised if, if Bobby green, you know, Bobby green has what, like 30 fights coming into this. It'll be like his 35th uh, this will fight. Be 37. Cause he's got a couple of draws in there too, or he's got a draw and a no contest. I think the, the smaller cage is the only thing that gets me about Lando. First of all, I got zero confidence in Lando because he's one of the most inconsistent guys I've ever seen. He's got such a, 100%. Such a wild style, and don't get me wrong, super fun to watch, but you just never really know. I mean, when he fought Tony Ferguson, I thought, well, you know what? Hey, Tony Ferguson's top-tier lightweight. This guy's going to be pretty good. And then since then, it's kind of been like up and down. He's had two different draws in the UFC because the fights go so many different directions. Uh, you know, Klaus are close beating pretty good, and then, you know, his one – a big win before the Medeiros fight was, you know, against a guy that didn't even have a winning record. So, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to really go forward with going with Lando. And, uh, you know, Bobby Green's just going to really come right at you style. And in a smaller cage, I feel like he would just have a little bit of an advantage. No, I was I was just saying that I think Lando might be on this kind of resurgence and, and 
you know, I truly hopefully, you know, hope he is because he would be a fun addition to the lightweight, uh, you know, top 10, top five, if he could kind of string together a couple wins with a new methodical um, approach to his game. So it's it's really hard to tell with Lando because, like you said, he is the most inconsistent fighter of all time. But, you know, I'm, and I'm a little biased, but I'm I got to pull with Lando. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, I mean, I think that's one of those fights where really you can go either way. If I can't say one thing, one thing I want people to look out for is on the preliminary card, it'll look like a mismatch because we all know about Ray Borg. Uh, but Nathan Manus is a guy who I've seen fight in person a few times. He's got a fun style. He goes right after you. He's real slick on the ground. He's got some good punching power. Uh, nothing against Ray Borg. Ray Borg does a lot of things well. We've all seen Ray Borg fighting some, some high-level fights. Uh, but if you're looking for one fight that may kind of fly under the radar, I think it'll be a good fight. And I also will probably lean towards Manus in that fight. I know he's a newcomer. Uh, he's actually only, you know, he's won just one fight, you know, in the he's he lost a fight uh, about a year ago, his first loss. But he recovered well and looked good against Kellen Van Camp in their fight uh, back over in HR MMA. So I really think that's one of those fights that's going to kind of fly under the radar as a chance to be fight of the night. And I, I think a lot of people will be impressed with how Manus looks. I know Ray Borg is more of a name guy. But if you're looking for that newcomer fighter that people don't know a lot about, I think Nathan Manis will impress some people against Ray Borg on the prelims. I think uh, I think we could have one of the one of the funnest weeks of fighting since the pandemic started. Um, I man, I'm looking forward to two weeks from now though. It kind of now that you mentioned it, now that you brought it up, and I was looking over the fight card. Oh shit, man! Yeah, there's some there's some big fights on the horizon for sure, and. Well, I think this, as you said, a real fun weekend of fights. I think, really, there's so many good fights coming up that some people aren't even talking about yet. It's still crazy that we're we're getting Zabit and Yair coming up in just a couple months, and there's a lot of fights. Good to see Bellator back up and running over the weekend, so they're going to start doing some different things. And again, their fight cards are kind of here and there. We never know if it's going to be a, a throwback card. Or as we talk, the Legends League, sometimes their cards look like a Legend lead, but you know, other times <laughs> you get some fun fights, some some fun up comers to watch so good to see bellator bike hopefully some more mma promotions will be popping up here and there and we'll get to see some good fights outside the ufc over the next couple months as well yeah we have the uh, the benson henderson michael chandler rematch which i think michael chandler might be one of the most underrated lightweights on the earth um absolute killer um you know we just had a badass bellator card it had aaron pico on it you know showing off his new um, you know, his new set of tools and his toolbox. It had Taiwan Claxton, who I actually wrestled with a couple times, who, uh, actually, fun fact, Taiwan Claxton lap dropped me in wrestling practice one time and gave me a fucking concussion. Um, but he was on the card. You know, we had Sergio Pettis and, uh, Ricky Bandahas fought, and it was just really good, really good showing for Sergio Pettis. Um, but yeah, Bellator's firing back up. You know, you mentioned it a moment ago, we have, uh, the MLB trying to fire back up. You know, the the Marlins kind of had a, oh, yeah. a rough weekend yeah, yeah, there. That's that's going to kind of um, put a little state on things for a bit. Yeah. Well, we've got hockey season. I mean, hockey's coming coming back, and I, I actually ordered a Nashville Predators uh, blanket for the couch so we can we can all wrap up while we're watching watching hockey. And, and uh, you know, it's it's such a weird time right now where, MMA truly is king right now. Yeah, and again, I really think 
some people will start to kind of turn away and start looking at some other sports. So it's unfortunate that there may be people miss this card, but the NBA starting up here this weekend as well. WNBA just picked back up. I know Major League Soccer is going on. And, uh, of course, no matter with all this going on, NFL training camp will start stealing headlines in terms of if they're going to play, if they play on time and all that. College football is also still 110% on the fence. So there's going to be a lot of headlines stolen over the next few weeks. And there's going to be a lot of fans that miss out on some good fights if they start sleeping on some of these smaller cards. Uh, again, don't know anything really about next week's cards besides the Derrick Lewis-Olenek fight, which has potential to be... Uh, really, that's one of those fights that can be anything because you never know with uh, with a Derek Lewis fight. Could be a crazy knockout. Could be the most boring 25 minutes of your life. You just never really know, especially against a guy like Olenek who has got such a, an odd style. So, uh, you know, some of these fights are going to slip under the radar. And who knows? You know, UFC 252 may kind of start to uh, get slept on. I mean, again, this is one of those things where I was – I keep getting surprised when I look at the date because that's literally two weeks away from this weekend. So it's almost here, and it feels like it should still be months away because I think we're all still kind of used to the UFC announcing a show and it being three months away, and now they announce the show when it's next week. So that's still taking some time to get used to. But, I mean, we're, we're right on the cusp of, of just after Fight Island, we still have some big fights on the horizon. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you if – you found us you know if you found baseline mma during the quarantine you know uh we definitely appreciate you listening we appreciate you tuning in and we hope that you stick around with us because you know as cody just mentioned there are some huge fights coming up and with the resurgence of other sports we are going to kind of slip under the radar but hopefully we gained a whole new fan base you know in this uh pandemic as well you know i mentioned earlier the celebrities that were talking about the fights and and uh you know there for a while uh I, I know here in Jacksonville, you know, where there's a local uh, fight promotion that I fought for a bunch called Combat Night. You know, Combat Night made uh, ESPN's, uh, I guess, front page or whatever on their on their website. You know, um, so hopefully you guys stick with us. Hopefully you enjoy uh, listening to Cody and I, and, and hopefully you guys are excited about, uh, you know, our other co-host TJ's been sick, uh, not with the Rona, just with with tonsillitis or we think uh, bronchitis. We think, yeah, we don't know. He could have, he could have the Rona. <laughs> um, but you know, with TJ coming back, you know, TJ's always a fun, um, a fun guy to have on the podcast. And, and you know, we advise everybody to wash their hands and stay safe. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, we're, we're almost done with this. Hopefully, we're on the upside of this, and, and we can get back to going to fights. However, Cody, and I think you'll agree with me on this. I appreciate. No I do, fans. and I, I mean, I. I enjoy watching it. I understand the business aspect. I know the UFC cannot wait to open the gates back up. And who knows when they, they didn't announce a location for Khabib and Gagey, but that could be one of the target dates, so to speak, that they may try to start working with some local government to see if they can, you know, maybe do 50% or 75% capacity or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed these fights with uh, now, now, like I said last week, I really just, especially after the Dan Hardy thing, I mean, maybe maybe give me an option to turn off commentary, too, and let me just watch the fights. Like, I don't really need someone walking me through everything either. It's, you know, I'm kind of to the point now where I feel like a lot of times I'm just sitting in the living room commentating to my wife while she just kind of watches the fight along with me. So I don't really <laughs> need that either. But for our listeners that are excited about all the sports coming back, we got a lot of other podcasts as well. If you're interested in basketball, we got the Shooter Pass podcast. I think they might have released an episode today or not today, but on uh, 
Tuesday, or actually Monday, they released a new episode on Monday, so you can check that out. We got views from the baseline talking about all sports. We got the hills of wrestling for the pro wrestling fans out there want to hear some stuff about that. They got some interviews going on right now, so you know I think we're working on what NFL and maybe a major league baseball and possibly even a hockey podcast as well. So no matter what your sport preference is, if you enjoy MMA but also enjoy other sports, we got all kinds of things for you to listen to throughout your day. Yeah, absolutely. And if you go to BaselineTimes.com, you can actually sign up and get email updates um, to the website whenever we post new stuff. And, and you know, me and Cody talked earlier about our picks. You know, the picks will be up on the website. Uh, our picks, Gabe, TJ, Chevy's going to make some picks. You know, we're all going to have uh, picks up on the website so you can go along and read. You know, sometimes you're at work and, and you know, you can't really listen to a podcast, but you still got to got to go to Bovada and make those bets, you know. <laughs> So you can at least go on there and, and read what we're thinking. And, and uh, man, it is an exciting time to be a Baseline Times fan. It's a fun time to be a Baseline MMA fan and just MMA in general. And hopefully, um, you know, hopefully with sports kind of opening back up, you know, hopefully we have this this little bit of uh, normalcy back. Did I use that right? Normalcy? It, sound, it norm, sounds good. Norm, yeah, hopefully we can. <laughs> Hopefully we go back to normal uh, in a lot of ways, and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited, and I know you're excited as well because we just we just talked a good thirty minutes about a card that's <laughs> two weeks away. Oh my God, I cannot. Yeah, that'll wait. be here before we know it. But make sure come back and do it again next week. We'll review everything that happens from the card this weekend. See if we have a new contender at middleweight and everything else that happened. Probably a lot of good fights to talk about, and hopefully we'll know more then about what's going on next Saturday and can preview some more of those fights as well. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we super appreciate it. Like I said, go to, if you're on Instagram, go to uh, at Baseline Times. Give us a follow. Uh, I believe that all of our Instagram handles are scattered throughout the page, so you can go follow the entire crew at Baseline Times. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Baseline MMA, at Baseline Times. And uh, give us a follow. Interact with us. We'll uh, we'll give you live picks throughout the week. and. And uh, we'll kind of talk to you and make you feel like you're one of us. Always a good time. Josh, thanks for doing this again. Thank you, my brother.